You may have noticed on the list of speakers that I appear as Abraham Schlein. Abraham is my real name. Avi is the calling name. But for the absence of doubt, um, I want to make it clear that the Abraham Accords are not named after me. Uh, I strongly oppose the Abraham Accords because they are not peace agreements between democratic societies. They are transactional agree agreements between authoritarian Arab rulers and an apartheid state. Uh, as far as the Arab signatories of the Abraham Agreements are concerned, this amounts to a stab in the back to the Palestinians. I'd like to end on a personal note, if I may. Uh, I'm an Arab Jew. I was born in Baghdad and I grew up in Israel. My Iraqi birth certificate gives my name, my first name is Ibrahim. So I am the real Ibrahim al-Baghdadi. <laughs> the other chap is a fake. He's, he's, he stole my identity. I'm proud of my Arab heritage and I'm equally proud of my Jewish heritage. The three pillars of Judaism are truth, justice, and peace. The Netanyahu government is the opposite of these core Jewish values. It is the most aggressive, expansionist, overtly racist, and Jewish supremacist government in Israel's history. The essence of Judaism is nonviolence. The present government is the antithesis uh, of this essence. As a Jew and an Israeli, I therefore feel that I have a moral duty to denounce Zionist settler colonialism and American imperialism and to stand by the Palestinians in their anti-colonial struggle, in their just struggle to live in peace and dignity on their own land. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Thursday, February 1st, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. We're going to get into a lot of topics today, something that I've touched on in passing numerous times and haven't really done too much in-depth work simply just because there's so many things to get into these days and have been for, I mean, since I've been doing this, quite frankly. But in regard to the China Uyghur conversation and how that obviously overlaps with Palestine and Israel, and we're going to talk about the interesting dynamic and the hypocrisy around it, as well as the, the other factors that may be at play to not dissect it in the beginning of the show. We'll get into that in the early part of the show today. But how important this seems to be and how, you know, as you guys well know, I think these governments, all of them are dangerous and would absolutely put you in a cage and ignore your human rights and your constitutional rights or whatever they may be, as long as it suited their agenda and they felt the juice was worth the squeeze. I think that about all of them, as much as 
two partisan, you know, or rather just partisan entities out there would love to make it how, you know, you not saying this means that. And that's, that's just how this game is played today. But it's important to consider all the factors, right? The, the use of radical elements by Israel and the United States to destabilize and manipulate foreign countries. You know, the, 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 these things are important factors to in, involved in all this. But right out of the gate, I think it's very clear that China in its actions against these people are treating them as lesser than. And I think that's important. Subhuman. They're violating their rights, exactly like you're seeing Israel do to Palestinians. Or I shouldn't say exactly. I mean, there's very many differences. I just mean in the sense that their rights are being violated. And I don't think that's debatable. But there's different factors at play because it's interesting that you would are that you're hearing from Israel. Well, we're allowed to, or rather just that this is acceptable or within the bounds of law because of what they're doing, because of how radical they are, because of what they would do to us. Well, what's interesting is you're going to hear very similar arguments coming from China, but why don't they apply the same way? Even if you think they're both treating them in the or it's interesting. You can see the overlaps therein. And again, now I jump right into it. We'll get into that today. But I think it's really important to consider how these things are being applied to the larger conversation today and why in any sense, if groups' rights are being violated on any in any situation, while they're why are they being treated differently? I think we obviously know why. I mean, at least that, you know, the factors, the larger political factors at play. We're going to start today with a point uh, around uh, a couple quick things. I'm going to update during the fluoride trial, talk about an interesting point at Monsanto that very few people seem to be talking about. A quick point about Neuralink and sort of the bi internal biosurveillance discussion that overlaps with a really alarming point about the, you might have seen it circulating about the Olympics and, and enhancing, allowing athletes to enhance themselves to better the game, essentially. It's very, very interesting, and I agree with some people that pointed this out to me about where this seems to actually be going, you know, both manipulating, you know, the, what's the best way to put it? The, you know, the bio-enhancement discussion, but whether it's about reducing aging or simply improving what you can do at the expense of others, or rather just to be, you know, the the, the gap that widens between the species, either way, I think the in the biosurveillance aspect plays a prominent role in the, what we're going to look at. We're going to talk about the WHO and the uh, zero draft they released, and and again how that seems to discuss importantly surveillance. And I think this all overlaps in a really alarming way, and it comes down to not just like broad surveillance about what people are doing in their daily lives, but internal bio surveillance is exactly what we're talking about. Being able to have certain genomic information to be able to, you know, map out certain things in certain populations, and this is what the WHO is essentially demanding as much as they would ever frame it like that. I think we all see how this is developing. We'll talk about some foreign policy in regard to Ukraine, Russia, the International Court of Justice just essentially dealt out a win for Russia, which if you're actually honest about this conversation, really should not have been that much of a shock. Just like with the Israel conversation, Ukraine puts forward a lot of, you know, our evidence shows not really backing things up despite being caught lying about almost everything. And the court came out and ruled accordingly. We'll get to that in a second. We'll talk about the briefly the point about Iran and just to follow up on how that is essentially exactly what we thought would happen. Despite all the partisan hype, if you listen to them, we were bombing Iran two days ago, right? We're going to talk about, and this is where we get into the part about the Uyghurs. And, and TikTok, interestingly, is what's kind of made me decide to put this point in today. But there's a point about TikTok, which I think is really important. Same thing I was just mentioning, how the partisan media seems to you know, just nothing, if if nothing, at least muddy the waters around these conversations, which makes it infuriating 
impossible for people that are trying to be honest about these and nonpartisan as best they can. And, and then from there, we'll talk about the Uyghurs and how this interestingly overlaps. And again, how I think it's important, the Israeli conversation. And we'll finish today with a bunch of discussion around Gaza and Israel, talking about UNRWA yet again. But most importantly, I think the hostages and the discussion around how it's readily apparent, their actions, their words, I mean, everything right on the surface that they do not care about getting these people home. I mean, as I said from the beginning, if that just doesn't sit well, at the very least, it's secondary to whatever their agenda seems to be. Even if you think the agenda will, will end up saving people in some way, the point is the agenda is violence. It is bombing and discriminant. Even if you don't think that, they don't know where they are. So when they flood tunnels and bomb these locations, as we keep seeing 60-plus people killed by IDF bombings, their own people coming home and telling you that we were scared of the bombings. We saw people die next to us because of your bombings. Hamas was cowering there with us as your, your bombings killed hostages. It's very clear. And I think it's important to keep that in the context of the conversation of what they choose to acknowledge and the deals they refuse. I think it's really important to show you that the Hannibal Directive is very real. And that is absolutely playing a factor. And these people, the families of the hostages, are screaming for the world to listen. And all you get is your governments telling you you're racist if you disregard what the Israeli government is saying as their people are trying to get you to listen to the fact that they don't care about their families. It's, it's quite interesting and a very, you know, ignoring the emotional side of it, just to watch how this is playing out. But it's, it's horrifying. Now, fluoride trial to start. I want to make sure you didn't miss this. Derek, it's on day two of the trial he's, he's keeping track of. Now, I know for some people this either is, you know, conspiracy theory or not important to the, to the relative to other things going on. I find this to be monumentally important. It plays into so many other factors we've discussed. I mean, really, at the core of this is the idea that fluoride, which it is, is a neurotoxin. It's interestingly overlapped with all the discussions of neuroscience and how it affects. Like, I think this is not just about, I mean, clearly my opinion, I think is obvious to prove, is this is simply advantageous. It's a byproduct that is being used. Now, again, the best way to frame it is something that you would, uh, that they, the government would otherwise have to pay to dispose of, has turned into something that you pay to put in your water. Like your tax dollars pay for this. And it's as easy as proving that, that well, the history is obvious. You can look it up. The argument is today is that, well, we just we do it because it's beneficial for your health. That has been roundly shown to be, at best, they argue it has some sort of dental aspect of health. There's no other benefit they're even arguing today. And that has been shown to be false a long time ago. The fact that it's still in your water, despite all that, is mind-blowing. This trial has been dragged out for years, even though the final report has been done for, a, for years. And that's kind of the crux of the point, is they're choosing to drag this back and hold it back. And that's why I titled it today, the, the interview I had with Derek today about day one, the government fights to keep your water unsafe. And that's, that's what's happening. Because let's be, if you understand this and you've seen the leaked information, they know what's in the report. They know that it shows that it lowers IQs. The experts, which by the way, I could just play for you real quick. Just actually a really quick opening clip. Derek interviewed one of the experts uh, in regard to this exact point today. And here's just quickly what he had to say about that exact point. Your professional opinion, is it fair to say that the conclusions of the National Toxicology Program, that there is an association between higher fluoride exposure and lower IQ in children is accurate? Uh, yes. Um, I would say that, in my view, uh, the evidence is quite uh, persuasive, uh, that there is a negative impact of 
Florida exposure on the neurodevelopment of children, hmm. particularly um, the research that's been coming out in prenatal exposure. My God. Now, you know, that's just one thing, right? That's just one thing that they've been, they've allowed to drag their feet on suppressed reports and it's damaging, but you could argue it's not as damaging as others. I mean, the point is that's just one thing that they know is there that they don't not only just don't care about are actively fighting to keep in your water for years, long before that. I argue they knew from the beginning, which gets a little more dark, doesn't it? But nonetheless, think about what else, the glyphosates and the PFAS and the dioxins and all these things that we're learning about together are horrifyingly dangerous and they know they're dangerous and they really don't seem to care. And I think this is paramount. So as this trial goes forward, hopefully people can start to pay attention and more and more have. I saw CHD did a documentary. Unfortunately, they didn't reach out to Derek. I don't know why he's been pretty much the only one talking on this, but we do have, I think Kim Iverson recently started talking about this. People are picking this up. It's important. And not only just because it might end up in a point where it exposes in, the, in a court of law that they have to admit this, but that it's showing you this entire time that they know it's dangerous. And I mean, look, you could argue that they just disagree and they're experts. So that's what they're coming out to say. But it takes a very simple observation to recognize the body of evidence is overwhelmingly clear. And that's why groups like the Fluoride Action Network and the, which, by the way, and the government report, the, Na the National Toxicology Program report is a government report. They, so the point is, this has all been known for people internally in this for a very long time, and they're doing everything they can to keep it from your view. So keep track. And some of the points that already happened are simply that they were objecting to studies outside of the country, which would have shown very clearly that they were wrong. Like everything they're doing seems to me to be about trying to keep this from your view. Now, he's going to keep following up on this. His reports are on uh, under, by the way, if you don't know how those, you haven't seen our website in general. You'll find the T-Lab team right here, and under each person's name, there'll be a drop-down menu of the different things that they're involved in. Derek is, you know, the ritualized sexual abuse investigation, exposing parasites, stress theory, two-part, you know, work. Fluoride trials right here, which has all these different links in it, so you guys can check out all the work he's done so far, which is a lot. There's been a lot of coverage on this. And, you know, things like this, proving that they were altering studies to remove negative conclusions and like this just things that should be bombshell reports in corporate media but if they were honest right as well if you'd like to continue to donate and support it's going to be there all week you know and it's it's t-lab costs so if you want to support us here's a way to do it as well as the other ways that you might be able to um down below the video on that same kind of point about neurotoxins and and things like glyphosate which not necessarily i do believe that but larger than i think glyphosate is a bit more nefarious than most things we've talked about because of how ubiquitous it is around the world, which is very easy to prove literally everywhere. I say this a lot when I talk about this, but I don't want this to become facetious or this is a fact it is in the air you're breathing, the clothes you're wearing. It is likely in your urine right now. That's not that. I mean, I would be I would put money on that. I would only say likely because who knows how people's bodies work. At the end of the day, it is the world has been drenched in glyphosate. It's horrifying. And they've done studies. The European Parliament did a study, or like a demonstration, which I believe was meant to kind of prove that it wasn't that ubiquitous, and every one of them had it in their urine, which is crazy. Every craft beer in Germany, when they did the study, all had glyphosate, which, by the way, makes them no longer what they said they were. Organic wines in Napa, same point. So they're technically no longer organic, but they just pretend like that's normal now, so they, they still call them craft and organic and whatever else, because it's too late. It's past. It's everywhere. This is why I'm trying to show people things like dioxins and whatever else in case we can get a front of it. The point is, this was the 31st. 
a, a French website covered this, a Philadelphia court. Think about how interesting that is. A French website covers a massive Philadelphia, Philadelphia court ruling. Have you heard about this on Fox or CNN? This is Philadelphia for crying out loud. They imposed on Monsanto, which is technically Bayer Monsanto at this point, the largest sentence ever handed down against a weed killer. $2.25 billion with a B in damages to one man who accused Roundup of being a, the cause of his cancer. Now, we've heard this already. There was the janitor who won. So let's realize this is, be, I mean, if this was more broadly discussed, I bet you they would be bankrupt by now because of how many people have a valid case to show that they have cancer because of what they screamed would never cause cancer. It's important. Just to show you, though, that there is some momentum there. There are good things and people fighting for this, like Conant from Florida Action Network and the great work he's doing with that. And thank the uh, knee viola points. Are you, are you in France? The only ones covering this? I'm sure there's some others, but let's get it out there. Get people to see it. Now here is the website itself. Monsanto ordered to pay $2.25 billion to a former roundup user. And I think the, uh, I really just wanted you to see this. You can read it for yourself to get more in depth on it. If you'd like to cover or see more coverage that we put out over the years. This is an older, one of the most popular on our website, actually. The Complete History of Monsanto, the World's Most Evil Corporation, which is a quote because it was literally, they won that award, if you want to call it that. Here's the one I mentioned. When Stephanie Seneff and Danny Rancourt and I had a roundtable discussion about this, and the point was glyphosate, mRNA, and spike proteins destroying your body. And what this was really about, actually, hold on, I think I had another one with Stephanie as well. Maybe not. Hmm. I thought I had one about that was different. But anyway, the point was that it's about how essentially how glyphosate works with other problematic things, including the injections to sort of like synergistically destroy your body. And she's proving this with scientific peer-reviewed evidence. It's mind-blowing. And you, the question for you is whether that's by design. I mean, I don't think we have to really stretch our minds that much today. After all the experimentation and all the things that are coming down and, you know, frame shifting and extra proteins and DNA contamination and mass excess death and cancers. And my God, we're all baffled about it, right? We're just so baffled. I think we all kind of see where this is going, as well as the tag just in general. So you can look, we've been covering Monsanto for a very long time. Now, on that note, which may not seem exactly connected to you, but quite frankly, I see more connection in this stuff than any than a lot of things out there today. The direction of the experimentation, both with biological aspects, but the overlap to all of that. We've got into this, you know, nanotech side of it, but whether or not you see this as connected, Elon Musk posts the first Neuralink product is called telepathy. Of course it is. Enables control of your phone or your computer and through them almost any device just by thinking. Now, even now that they're posting stuff like this, and even though we've talked about this work going up back a decade, people still read this and go, oh, that's like the, you know, 20 years from now. Guys, it's not. This is already happening. It's already been experimented on. If you see a human test in live discussion on Twitter, it's probably been utilized by the military for 20 years. I don't know that for sure, but that's historically how these things tend to go. But at the end of the day, this is exactly what I've been talking about. Now, you still may see this as a positive thing or benign. Just realize that anything can always be used, accessed, manipulated by the very people we're all concerned about. Maybe that for you, that's all the Democrats. Maybe for you, that's all the Republicans. Maybe for you, you see through it all and recognize that it could be anybody in your government. Or what about if you only think it's the China government or the government? The point is, it's there. And that will eventually fall into the lap of somebody who can use it in a negative way. 
These things need to be considered, not just us pressing on the positive angles that usually don't even come to pass. That this might help Parkinson's people and people with no limbs. And, you know, I hope that ends up happening if this ultimately goes forward when I don't kind of don't want it to. But usually you look back and it's not. It, I, it, I mean, call me a pessimist, but history is there for us to look at, guys. And it feels like we oddly never look back to see how these things tend to go. We're in this hamster wheel and we just can't look back or up, I guess. But it says initial users will be those who have lost the use of their limbs. Like I said, imagine Stephen Hawking could communicate faster than the speed type or, you know, you get the point. And this was another one following up, just saying the first. Oh, well, technically, this was the first one. It looks like I put him out of order. The first human received an implant from Neuralink yesterday and is recovering well. Initial results show promising neuron spike detection. Now, you know, maybe this is maybe I'm wrong about it all. and It's all going to help everybody. I just think we need to be aware of where this all seems to be going. Now, this is a little bit different. I think what we're looking at here in the Neuralink side of it is about, you know, the, 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 the logical step for the average person. I believe we're well past the idea of some, I mean, look, the point is you're talking about being able to control things by thinking. So clearly you don't need wires, right? I think that's obvious. Despite the fact that they continue to kind of promote this as something that is, you know, connected to you. At, I mean, to a, to a point. And so I think that's interesting because I think we're, they are way past that getting into things like this, which I'll put on in a second, the idea of the reality of the decades old concept of smart dust, DARPA smart dust, which has been around for multiple decades. Where is that now? God only knows. And I think that is very relevant to this idea, right? Of, of the, of something that goes beyond, you know, inserting plugs and wires and so on and goes past that to the idea of bio enhancement which is ultimately what this is either way. But I think we're at a point where we're actually in the overlap of like the bio nano kind of enhancement concept. And this is where the, what I was mentioning briefly before, which people weekly tagged us in this enhanced games. I hadn't even seen this. This was totally new to me. It says he's the fastest man in the world and a proud enhanced athlete. So I guess this is a new thing where they're kind of like going, Oh, the old Olympics are the thing of the past. Now we're going to allow athletes to just juice up and do take whatever's available. I guarantee there'll be some kind of a, there'll still be a line somewhere. That's what I, I bet you that's what happens is where they're going to have like the black, you know, the bad drugs. You know, you can't do, you know, steroids and this kind of stuff, but you can do genetic in genetic enhancements, right? Just like rich people weekly points out. Well, basically I'll come back. I'll come back to his points. I wanted to go through this video first is ultimately his point is this is sort of like a, like a trap, um, a, a manipulation, uh, a red herring, that's not the right word. You know, basically they're trying to manipulate you by going, look over here, this great thing. And it's really about trying to decide for themselves what is the best combination of manipulations to benefit the elitists at your expense. While telling you it's about this new, you know, I, that's what I, I agree completely. So first, just watch this video. And of course, the best part is it's backed by Peter Thiel. Who could have guessed? I'm sure Whitney knew all along. I am the fastest man in the world. Not without enhancements. I've broken Usain Bolt's world record, but you've never heard of me. I am a proud, enhanced athlete. Now, we have important allies in our battle for bodily freedom. Bodily freedom. You've got to be kidding me. So now it's the same ploy as like the transgender discussion. So it's, I mean, look, no one's stopping you from jamming, well, technically, 
that's a whole different kind. I mean, like the government's trying to stop you from doing drugs all the time. I've disagreed with that on a flat level forever. You should be able to do whatever you want with your own body as long as you're not harming anybody else or putting anybody else at risk, your children and so on, right? You want to inject yourself with steroids? Go for it. It's your choice. The, the obvious downfalls are there. But to argue that it's, you know, th therefore you then have to be accepted into this, you know, the sports field. I mean, it's obviously an unfair playing field, right? I mean, just because everybody could do it doesn't mean they would want to or that they have the financial ability to, or even the technological ability to. You're going to tell me some high-level billionaire is not going to have more access to some new genetic techniques? The point is that if you keep it with nothing, that's obviously the smartest and le level playing field, which is why that's how it is, right? Nobody, nothing. Just flat, no enhancements, unless you do it secretly. And so you have to build naturally as best you can. Right. And that's obviously why the gender overlap became a very clear problem, because a man with testosterone, whether you call yourself a woman or not, have surgery or not, is still an obvious chemical biological benefit, which anybody with a brain and, you know, a willingness to understand biology can tell you. So the problem is that when you move this into the era of bio enhancement and act like it's some kind of, you know, what again, what do you say? The uh, his bodily freedom, you 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 kind of turn this into a human, almost like a human rights issue. Like you're going to argue like we're discriminating against the genetically enhanced. Like, do you not see how weird that is? I guarantee that's where this is going. To justify the manipulation of them for the larger experiment's sake under the guise that it's about letting them do what they think is right as you, you know, as they're pumping them full of whatever they can figure out and then utilizing it for their own purposes. They being whatever entities, whatever corporations are trying to figure this out. In our battle for bodily freedom, as we build the first sporting event that allows performance enhancements and pays all athletes. Now that's interesting, right? Because if you're making a new event, well, I, no one, no one should have the right to stop you from doing that. It's interesting. Let's make an event for only enhanced athletes. I, I, my, my argument would be that anybody who likes the, you know, it would in a, in an honest world, in my opinion, you would still people would still choose to to enjoy the natural version of it in like a purer sense, but there would still be a novelty about look at how these are, they're faster and they're stronger and so on. But my point would be that the governments and the people that would want you to lean in that direction are going to promote it more than anything. The media will promote the new thing more than anything to, to drive you to the new style. And you'll see the other thing fall away. Like that'd be my prediction. We'll see what happens. When we first announced the enhanced games, the Olympic Committee said we were a joke, an idea that couldn't be taken seriously. But venture right. capitalists know that the future isn't a joke. Today, I'm proud to announce seed funding from investor Christian Angermeyer, PayPal co-founder Peter Thiel, former Coinbase CTO Balaji Srivivasan, and many other leading investors. With millions of dollars to support building the future of sports, yeah, or the future of their bio manipulations and, you know, age. Like the point is, these are people that are across the board don't seem to care much about sports, but they sure as hell care about the transhumanist, trans, you know, technocratic bio enhancement side of things, which is what they're invested in all over the place. But let's pretend like this is just a casual side project just to see you better at sports. We can show the world that science is real. The what does that even mean? Like, so. <laughs> I just, it's almost like a weird callback to like COVID and trust the science. Like, what is that? What do you mean science? Are we, are we, are we at a point where we're pretending people are denying science? Like that never actually even happened. Nobody was saying science isn't real. I've never met somebody that says that.
And if they do, you're you. It's, that's like saying something like you could disagree on scientific outcomes. But to argue science is fake is like saying, you know, that's a good analogy, like something that's a general concept that's not about specifics. I don't know. The point is, it's stupid to even say that. But it's all about creating this kind of, you know, the people that follow are going to use that as a talking point. Watch it. Enhanced games are real. E plus, right? I mean, isn't that just weird? It really is. Now, you know, again, if you want to go out and do something like that and you want you to participate, I mean, I'm not going to begrudge somebody from wanting to manipulate their body, but I think it's I think it's pretty weird. And I think it's clearly manipulative when, it, when it's backed by a bunch of transhumanists that are trying to figure out the best way to do this. That's my opinion, obviously. But here's what uh, Rich People Weekly said. He says, Muh, science is real. <laughs> the tagline and the backers gave away the scam. The billionaire cowards want to live forever and they're willing to experiment on others to see the best combos for health and longevity. When they find it, they'll make sure you can't afford it. Exactly. And of course, here's what's crazy about this. Enhanced Games, which doesn't seem to be too huge, 10,000 followers, but clearly is backed by groups like Peter Thiel or somebody like Peter Thiel. They're not small, right? They responded to him. He, he literally says, LOL, coming from, quote, rich people weekly. Like, what an idiot. Like, it's just, just such a ridiculous response. And he rightly says, I'm not surprised you can't grasp satire. Like, he's you think he's promoting rich people? Like, what a funny thing to say. Your whole promotion was about exalting billionaire backers and getting paid for experimental biohacking bread and circus. Transhumanism sucks. They responded again. You're very welcome to remain as neutral as, uh, get this, you're very welcome to remain totally showing you the truth and admitting what he said to remain as a natural aging human. Wow. When the rest of us are on a journey to become enhanced and defeat aging. Guys, that's literally what the actual enhanced gaming account, enhanced games account said in response to Rich People Weekly. He, they, they said, you're welcome to remain a natural aging human while the rest of us become living forever enhanced bio machine. Like, I can't believe that. And if you, you may try to argue that they're being facetious. I don't think so. I think that's very clear. And quite frankly, that's literally what this is about. And he responds by going, you're right. To an extent, choice is ideal until certain people deem it not to be. In case you were wondering where normalizing bioenhancement leads to, you may want to understand the reality of the situation a bit better. Bread and Circus upsells the idea while vultures circle. And of course, he references the epistemology of moral bioenhancement. 2016, which you know what's coming next. Of course, you know what's coming next. Well, in 2019 and after and before, actually, they said, well, 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 if we decide that moral bioenhancement is a thing, well, we can logically conclude that it should be compulsory and covert because you just won't understand. I mean, this is real stuff, guys. I've talked about this so many times where they say, well, if we're going to do it, we may, we ought to make it be compulsory. But if it's going to be compulsory, we'd rather make covert than overt because you just wouldn't understand, right? The idea is that it's for public health. And it's just like with COVID vaccines. They didn't get it. They needed it. They were wrong. So this time we should do it secretly or maybe they already did. The point is, this is very obviously what we're talking about. And I don't believe he responded to that. I just, I'm I'm a little bit blown away that they actually responded with that. You can stay natural and organic and aging. We're going to become enhanced and defeat age. Or that's what they're feeding you while they do it for themselves and then leave you in the dust. That's what usually happens. Here's their team, by the way. And you can look at, you know, just there's Peter Thiel as the, uh, right here, as one of the investors. 
Palantir, you know, all the same stuff we've talked about. I mean, just these guys are technocrats. It's very clear. Transhumanist, in my opinion, driving this agenda, which is very concerning. Here's the Forbes article if you want to read more. Billionaire Peter Thiel backs doping-friendly, interesting way to frame that, Olympics rival. What to know about the enhanced games? You see, this is not a tiny thing. And they, I, I bet you they delete that tweet. How much you want to bet? Somebody should save that. I'm willing to bet you that that is not in their best interest and somebody's going to make have a problem with that if we make that a big deal. Here, I should do this real quick. Saying, hey, can you believe they actually said that? Give it some more attention. We'll see what happens. Now, in the same vein of thought, the WHO. Now, we're, I, we, we will, I guarantee, be going deeper into this as well as what comes after. The, this is just the WHO uh, zero draft, and this this came out today. So, thank shout out to Luther Cyrus here for making this, you know, promote posting this and and tagging the link. I always think that's important. He says WHO demands surveillance among many other things. Read the full thing to to monitor every man, woman, and child for disease control. According to WHO boss Tedros, the unelected bureaucrats require increased surveillance powers to track the public and monitor the health of people, animals, and ecosystems, which is essentially what's happening. So what's interesting, though, is there's more to it, but I, just for today's point, and we will be going further into this, especially as it becomes more prominent. Here's what it says. And now, it just in general, strengthening and sustaining preparedness and health systems, resilience. And remember, they're constantly stressing the idea that it's not like mandatory or that it's not forced. Even though, as Derek's covered, and here, actually, I'll grab that as well. Just did a good article on this. Dissecting Disease X, where they recently were going over this in the WHO, and he's, he broke this down. And the pandemic agreement. So he just went over this and, and the history. And, you know, going back to things like even Event 201 and before, I mean, there's so much overlap to this. But it says, the parties are encouraged to establish global... Now, see, the people will jump on encouraged well it may say that there but if you look at the larger picture it becomes clear as derek writes about in the article that there's all sorts of mechanisms they can use to pressure and like they said if you don't go by this it'll uh, you know taint your world uh you know uh, reputation you know all these different and as well as that we know that there are many different ways they can lean on these countries especially when it becomes that if you don't do this we're all going to die which is the way they turn any you know climate change all of a sudden it becomes we have to and if you don't we're going to sanction you you could see how this goes, as well as the fact that WHO's own documents make it clear that there's all sorts of ways that they can pressure and force countries to abide by this, especially if they're pretending it's a pandemic or think it is. But it says encouraged to establish global, regional and national collaborative genomic networks that are dedicated to epidemiological genomic surveillance and the global sharing of emerging pathogens with pandemic potential. So genomic, that's internal personal, that's internal biosurveillance of your genomics. I don't know why that's acceptable for anybody. People may not even grasp. Like, this is the point about the DNA and information. Like, I don't think we're at a point where we fully understand, getting into the way the future is building, what these kind of things truly mean. And either way, if it's something, I mean, there's no reason you should feel obligated to do anything when it comes to your personal bodily autonomy. I love how dumb the argument, how, how humorous the, the the my body my choice kind of overlap is right how it's just something that was just paramount and we've always said it until suddenly it didn't align with the agenda anymore and we just go no that doesn't apply <laughs> even though we're literally talking about your body and them violating that bodily autonomy but it doesn't apply apparently because it's not the same thing even though it is 
Oh, that's why this is over here. And then the next part, just showing you know, it's list this numerous times. This is saying, you know, each party shall, in accordance with national law, adopt policy, strategy, supported by implementation plans. So it doesn't seem like it's a very, you know, if you want to. It's saying surveillance, including, and you know, we've talked about the one health approach, which is the same concept as one world government, one any. It's about one health, the health of the world, right? You can't, if your issue or your personal freedom is getting in the way of the health of the world, that's the same thing they tried to do in our country and elsewhere. Right? No one's safe until we're all safe, or no one's sick or you know, healthy until we're all healthy. It's absurd. It's like saying we're, you know, you're either with us or you're against us. This is just the new form of the boogeyman threat. Even if you think it's real, the point is still that they're using this. Just like people can be terrorists, but they use that concept to keep you under their boot. Outbreak investigation and control through interoperable early warning and alert systems. See, this is where we get into the internal biosurveillance and how this very much overlaps with what we're going. And if you think I'm wrong on that, realize that the leading actions by people that have been involved with this, even people involved with the actual creation of the injections we've used, like Bob Langer, Moderna, the co-founder, that they've been working on for decades, or a decade, essentially, on how they can relay internal biosurveillance without having things, you know, using smart dust, using optogenetics, magnetogenetics, things that are outside and relaying information back. I won't even get into the kind of internal control that they're also working on and achieving a long time ago. Interesting point for me is that having in, you know, warning alert systems, one health concepts, they're talking about being able, even if you just want to take it outside the body, we're still talking about mass surveillance of a, of a, of a population, even things like they talked about during COVID having little uh, sensors in certain public areas that detect certain things in the air or the waste surveillance where they can just claim something with us having no way to be able to tell whether it's actually accurate. If we can't accept by now that they lied about things or that governments generally lie to suit their interests, I mean, you're, you're being wildly naive. To say today that they wouldn't do that, like there's some altruistic entity, is completely just devoid of understanding of the history of government in general. And there's more than this, but just for points to make it clear, the parties commit to strengthen multi-sectoral, coordinated, interoperable, and integrated One Health surveillance systems and strengthen laboratory capacity to identify and assess the risks, regain a function, and emergence of pathogens and variants with pandemic potential. These ex gain a function research alongside the internal biosurveillance and whatever other experiments they have running simultaneously. Now, we've talked a lot about the concept of smart dust and the, in, the biosurveillance relay information and how these things have already been used and are already working. We've talked about the dust networks that go back a decade where they were discussing tracking, shipping, and so on. These things are deployed already. I think that's an obvious fact. My question was whether COVID-19, whatever that was, was an attempted experimental next step that maybe they failed on. Maybe they got what they needed from it. But this is where it's going. And if you, want to, if you think that sounds crazy, please watch this. It's very real and very current based on peer-reviewed science, military documentation, and also that they're telling you right now what we're stepping into is the Internet of Bio-Nano Things. This is directly from a peer-reviewed study discussing this, and we're talking about both, both implantable devices, which, I mean, Klaus Schwab told you that's where we're supposed to be, and they're telling you we're in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, as well as smart dust concepts where you have just these things flowing through your body and then you can relay this information to your laptop, to other discussions. I mean, this is not like we're going into the next 20 years. They're saying this is where we are, which means that you're not just the Internet of Things or Nano Things, where you've got nano devices connecting the Internet, but internally, bio nano things. 
as well as just the alarming discussion, which I'm not going to get too much into today, about genetically engineered proteins to control pretty much everything, but that's part of it. Now, just an overlap again to where we currently are, at least what we can see. Fortune writes about how the global cancer rates are expected to rise 77% by 2050. The WHO warns. Talk about surveillance. Why can't you see that? From aging to alcohol. (laughs) Here's why. Because before 2020, nobody aged. Before 2020, nobody drank, apparently. That's That's what it is, right? They're baffled, guys. They're just so baffled. It's so infuriating for seemingly everybody with a brain to keep watching this, to keep watching the things that experts predicted would happen come to pass, and then they go, well, it's probably these totally benign things that have always been there. Or not benign, I guess, but things that have always been present. There's no real big shift in how much people are drinking except for the normal based on how people drink and do more drugs more when things are bad or aging. <laughs> I don't think there's anything new under the sun around aging other than their attempt to stop it. So what's crazy to me is that we can see the obvious clear overlaps of lymphocytopenia, the things that are leading to absolute obvious cancer overlaps and the explosion of cancer in people that have the injections. And all we can say is probably aging in alcohol. 77%. I mean, these things are obvious as hell. Here's Canada. Get this. This They reported this in the beginning of like 20 to 2021, but it's only gotten worse. This is from five hours ago. Technically, I think this might have been, let me see if it was yesterday. Yeah, so eight hours ago, but yesterday, I guess, which that doesn't make so much sense, but I think it was yesterday. Latest numbers, and this, but it is this year, just so we're clear. Latest numbers for Canada's fertility rate show an all-time low. Largest decline since the 1970s. Well, ask Scotland. Apparently, they're baffled too, even though we all seem to know what's really going on. This is, but this is the problem. Now, one last point. I just wanted to include this because it's important and I know I'll forget about it. This is this is in California. And I do see an overlap here, though, but you could overlap this with pretty much anything. Government being able to arrest you or rather not even government anymore, just app, you know, extensions of the, the apparatus of the government. To let therapists and social workers, which I guess that would be government, decide when to confine mentally ill Californians. So it hasn't happened. It's a bill being proposed, but I'm willing to bet that goes forward. The idea that now they can decide. Well, they are the experts, right? And who decides whether you're crazy? Well, you said the wrong thing online or you took too many COVID shots. There was an overlap in the beginning that literally stated that there was an an issue. I think it was the UK bill that discussed the idea that there was potential mental issues because the point is it set these tables for anything. Either way, the idea that outside of the police, which are usually the ones that make these decisions, they're, t- they're letting average people, therapists, social workers, decide based on their own political understandings and biases to decide whether you should go to jail or mentally confined for ill mental illness. The point for me is, let's not forget, a documented, stated, which I disagree with, and I think it's flatly obviously wrong, but stated mental illness is, uh, now I'm going to forget it, um, oppositional defiance disorder which literally just means you disagree with the government. (laughs) I think about that is so alarming to me. And you can look it up. It's a real thing, diagnosable mental illness. So that's just a worry there. But getting into the idea of where this goes with the manipulation, you know, think about how this could be used against you. Now, let's get into foreign policy. This I found really interesting. Now, this I I haven't gotten into, well, I'll get to that in a second, the the China discussion part. I wanted to start with this just because it overlaps with you know, in my opinion, really just to see how I, I hope people are beginning to see through, especially from the two-party paradigm, how these people are all just different variations of the same thing. 
And it's so obvious that I keep saying stuff like this where, you know, Trump will come out and say, you know, oh, if I was in position, well, really anybody who is not the current, you know, president and running that they would say, well, if I was there, you know, here's the, here's why it would be different. But usually not even getting into any like specifics, Trump especially, but just, you know, letting his, his followers like they usually will be like, well, he's right. And if he was there, he would be doing this and doing, then they fill in the blank with what they would want him to do. It's pretty, pretty smart. The truth is that he's just like that. And, and that's what Uh-Oh points out. How is this any different than Newcomb Haley, Nikki Haley, which I've just called a neocon Frankenstein. She's just like pathetically trying to glom on to these old neocon talking points that personally I think are falling flat, but we'll have to wait and see how they, how they pretend it went. It's not real, but Michael Tracy writes, Trump finally elaborates on his Ukraine position. He says he'll get the European countries to match what the U.S. is sending to Ukraine. Oh, right. So he is absolutely continuing the war in Ukraine like he, I told you he would or is absolutely going to promote and support Israel, despite what people might say. That's not a call for cutting off arms to Ukraine. It's a call for increasing arms. He also once again brags that he increased funding to NATO. I don't know why anybody with a brain would support any of that. And I, I think Republicans are pretty strongly against most of that. Rather, to put it this way, not the classical Republicans, but maybe the Patriots, which seem to be the largest block of like the MAGA group that like are sort of still voting Republican, but seem to differ on things that I think matter. I just wish they could see past the two party illusion. I think they're getting there. But here's what he said. Uh, Ukraine's an interesting case. People always want to know my feeling. Number one, we're in for 200 billion plus and the European nations are in for 20 billion and it's more important for them. And don't you think they should equalize? Nobody asks them. It's like I did with NATO. I said, we're spending, we're, we're paying for NATO. And we don't get so much out of it. And you know, I hate to tell you this about NATO. If we ever needed their help, let's say we were attacked. I don't believe they'd be there. Hardly. I don't believe. I know the people. I know them. I can tell you country by country who would be there. and who. But I don't believe they'd be there. Do you believe that? You can, maybe he's right. I don't know. I, I personally think it's ridiculous. I think personally NATO has, you know, I mean, it's, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a multifaceted entity. So it's not like saying, you know, the U S government, but even then it's kind of the same point, but I was going to say that NATO's never seen a war that it didn't like. I mean, I think that's obvious how this has gone, that it's always seemingly chomping at the bit. And I think that's largely because of who's leading it like the U S government. But I took care of NATO. I said, you got to pay your bills. If you don't pay your bills, we're not going to be there to support you. And the following day, the money came rolling into NATO. But oh, good, right? Good because we only care about money, right? Who cares about illegal wars? Who cares whether they'll actually support us? But we we pushed and we got more money. Hooray, the businessman, right? Hey, maybe that's all you care about. Frankly, I think it's crazy that that's. I mean, that's one thing I've always loved about Donald Trump. He just pulled the mask off. We're there for the oil. Good. I think that's disgusting, and I think you're a bad person, but good for being on. Thank God somebody will just tell you how bad they really are. The European nations, if you add them up, the economy is about the same size as the U.S., believe it or not. A lot of people are surprised. You add them all up, and uh, they are in for about $20 billion, and we're in for $200 billion because we're stupid. All we have to do is say pay. Nobody ever says to them pay. You don't even hear that. I say pay. And they'll pay, too. You have to equalize. Huh. It's just funny. Like, that's all that really matters. But my point, the, the main point is simply that, that he would fund more in Ukraine. And I think that's obvious. I think that's been very clear. And I think it's just because he thinks that that's what the powerful person would do. 
I mean, I don't know. You guys have probably have a higher opinion of him than I do. Either way, here is Victoria Newland. Also against Ron. So I know a lot of the Republicans would probably, you know, make out Newland what she is, a a villain, but she's they similarly opposed to Russia. In this case, the very least, just see the overlaps between the people that you might otherwise disdain who have the exact same stance but might be framing it differently about Russia. Victoria Newland landed in Kiev and started issuing threats towards Russia that she can't back up. And it's just so funny. In this example with her coat and just this, she just seems like this meek, feeble person in this clip, even though she's powerful, but just saying things that have no meaning or backing because that's not really what's going to happen. They've been doing this the whole time. Russia's going to win and they're going to get this and we're, or rather, Russia's going to lose and Ukraine's going to take back. And they just, you know, stating what they want the reality to be. The reality is obviously quite different. I have to say that I leave Kiev tonight uh, more encouraged about the unity and the resolve uh, about 2024 and its absolute strategic importance for Ukraine. Of course, uh, of course, right? Because it's it's election season, right? So it's always so important. You got to vote for the right person. Otherwise, all goes to hell. But your vote matters. Choose who you like because democracy. But if you don't vote for him, you're stupid and it's all going to fail. Right. Hashtag democracy. Uh, I also leave more confident that uh, even as Ukraine strengthens its defenses, uh, Mr. Putin's going to get some nice surprises. Doesn't it just feel ridiculous? Like, I don't know if it's just me because I because I see through it, but it's like it's like Nancy Pelosi claiming that, you know, Palestinian protesters in the U.S. are Putin's puppets or whatever. Or when Maxine Waters says that about the 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 you know the car that drove by like they're just ridiculous like to me i think that they're losing the the even the influence they have over average people like you used to look at them and some people would and they you know they they seem like powerful entities and their threats hold water and to me that just seems like feeble and putin's got something coming to him it's like who is this person are you just it just i don't know it just screams that they're inept that they're incompetent that they're that they're just screaming that they're trying to get you desperately to think what they want you to think in hopes that just might tip the table in there it's not they're losing on the battlefield and that ukraine uh mr putin's gonna get some nice surprises even just the way she moves i'm sorry to stop it again (laughs) mr putin's gotta get some surprises it's like you're watching your, your neighbor's soccer mom tell you that Putin's a bad guy. Nice surprises on the battlefield and that Ukraine will make some very strong success this year. Make some strong successes because that makes sense. But Sarah Brown puts on a good point and I wasn't going to get into it, but <clears throat> I was just reading about how Zelensky apparently fired some lead entity in the government. And turns out right after she went by, let's not forget that she was in, she was the one that essentially picked, along with the U.S. government, the cabinet that they elected <laughs> after the illegal coup in the Maidan Square that was carried out by the U.S. government. You know, so it's, it's just it's not new. These people have always been involved with who and what and where, and they call it democracy. But then when people actually vote in, who, by the way, sometimes end up voting in people that we not think are very savory, but it's still technically the actual vote. They can't have that. They can't have real democracy or whatever you want to call it because then they can't decide what happens. This is everything about these people are dishonest and, and criminal, in my opinion. But Arnaud Bertrand points out something important, which, of course, they're going to call the bastardization of the court and how this, the court showed its true face and you know, whatever. I haven't seen those yet, but I guarantee we're going to see some of that because the court, the ICJ, just basically gave Russia a huge victory. The ICJ tossed out most of Ukraine's pleas 
regarding Russia being a terrorist state. They only ruled that Russia had failed to take measures to investigate and rejected all other submissions made by Ukraine, which is not even that damning. You could argue that just like, I mean, isn't that what Israel's literally arguing? That we're in the middle of a war. We'll come back to those things and we're done. Okay. I love how the excuses they give that are totally valid become illegitimate when anybody else uses them. Nonetheless, the point is they just, they're claiming at the very least, which still, that may, maybe that's wrong, but that they're saying that Russia has foregone any investigation into allegations. But it's kind of hard to see that as leg- legitimate when they're f- f- throwing allegations every 30 seconds about things we've proven to be false. Either way, it is a huge win. Here's what it says uh, in France 24. And just so it's clear, me saying that a win for Russia. Like, again, it, I, but I, I would argue that I think that what Ukraine was alleging is completely flimsy. That not that that makes you, Russia the good guy, but simply that what they're claiming about Russia in most every sense throughout the war have been shown to be manipulations, lies, false flags. But it says Kiev has accused Moscow of being a terrorist state, which is hilarious. Not because they both probably aren't guilty of crimes, but that the the illegitimate occupied state of Ukraine with the puppet government put in place by foreign powers that has been carrying out its own ethnic cleansing in Donbass and everywhere else for however long. You're the terrorist state. You're the one, right? Whose support for for pro-Russian separatists in East Ukraine has a harbinger of the full-fledged 22 invasion. But the ICJ tossed out most of the pleas, as I just told you, failing to take measures to investigate facts being the only thing they said had merit. They quit, and the ICJ rejects all of the submissions. Now, here's a clip from France 24, just kind of laying this out. I'm interested to see, let me know in the chat what you might have already seen, what they're, how they're framing this. Because we already talked about how Israel was going to put forward a, 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 which is just, it's, it's almost comical, cartoonish, a, a, an allegation of genocide against Iran right now. Because of things they've said about Israel while they're literally murdering 30, 40,000 people, right? It's, it's unbelievable how comical that is. And they're going to try to put it forward. And they're going to promise you, call it the proof that the court's illegitimate the moment they don't just blindly go forward based on Israel's insinuations alone. But again, this is about Russia and the recent ruling. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about the court's decision today. Is it a victory for Russia, a victory for Ukraine, indeed a victory for both? Well, this is clearly a victory for Russia, uh, Nadia, because almost all of Ukraine's allegations here were thrown out. Now, they had brought this case under two different treaties. One is that Financing of Terrorism Act, and they were hoping to pin Russia's support for militias in eastern Ukraine uh, under this act. However, this court ruled... Think about how crazy that is. Right. So you're t- you're pretending that because I think you're probably talking about the Wagner group, which it, I mean, it's no different than the 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 groups that the U.S. works with all over the world. But of course, because Russia, bad guy, therefore, only that is a problem when they do it. But it's good when we when they do it as terrorism, we do it as freedom. Right. It's just it's silly. But on top of that, you're talking about them fighting the Ukrainian Azov movement, which is literally one of the most contentious groups that like 30 seconds before this started, we're all calling Nazis. And you and and it's just so I don't know why it, even at this level, like they can't like, you don't have to laugh and be, you know, show decorum, but say that, come on and be like, this is incredible that you have the gall to bring this forward as you're doing, you know, but you know, we know how political all this is. That the provision of weapons, the provision of training, that did not violate this act. It is only about providing money. Uh, now, that also destroyed any hopes from Ukraine to pin, for example, the um, downing of flight MH17. 
And Bell's the fact that what they're talking about is they're trying to use the point that they're arming them and saying that that therefore means they're guilty of genocide. Do you realize how dumb that is when you have the U.S. government funding the worst of the worst around the world? Ukraine, Israel, provably or either just specifically having merit to the allegation of genocide. And yet they, they'll lob it right at you it's, and, and it gets knocked back down and then they cry foul when that happens while well, they're literally provably doing in it. Which it has been proven by another court here in The Hague that the weapons were produced by Russia. Uh, that basically disappeared with that ruling. Uh, the only thing that this court found is under that financing of terrorism act that Russia failed to comply because they failed to investigate certain individuals who were um, told uh, who Ukraine told them could be financing terrorism. So. So yeah, what government gets told by their enemy that that guy might be a problem and then they immediately comply and do an investigation? Is that what Israel does? Is that what the U.S. government does? Right. All of these double standards, it's painful, but people are finally seeing them, I think. That was a violation, but that's small beef if you look at the bigger picture. Uh, the other treaty here was about the elimination of all forms of racial violence, uh, discrimination, sorry, and uh, that... Again, the court did not go along with Ukraine's arguments. They said the fact that the Crimea, the Tatar minority in Crimea was being targeted, that was not because of their ethnicity, but because of their political opposition to Russia. And that included the closure of the Majlis, the um, Tatar representative body in Crimea. Now, the only win, as you said, was on that Ukrainian language education, 90% decrease in Ukrainian language education in Crimea since 2014. Uh, and the court did say that Russia should reinstate Ukrainian language uh, education in Crimea. However, it did not provide any kind. Of- and, and this is while Ukraine has removed people that have not allowed you to speak Russian. You're not allowed to pr- practice certain religions, wave certain flags. I mean, just think about how ridiculous that is. The only difference, Russia hasn't accused Ukraine and thrown them in front of the court. They probably wouldn't b- oblige, oblige anyway. <laughs> But you see what I'm saying? Like, it's it's wrong no matter who does it. But it's just so incredible that they can lob this at a group that, that the court found isn't doing that, while you can prove they're actually doing that. ...of damages for that or any kind of compensation for parents who've had to not be able to see their children educated. Uh, and there was a sort of a, a slap of the wrist uh, for Russia for violating preliminary provisional measures, which included the fact that Russia should not aggregate this conflict. Now, of course, it has invaded Ukraine. Uh, so to say that it has not aggregated is a, is, is a very, uh, it's a slap on the wrist. It's something that, you know, the court was very keen to point out that this has been ordered, but it doesn't have any any meat around it. They can't really do anything. So really a very good day for Russia here at the ICJ today. Uh, Sarah's arguing that, that there, which is one of the obvious options, they're, as opposed to Wagner, they're talking about the, uh, the uh, elements in Donbass, which are, you know, by even the U.S. government's own assessment, are a group that are, that are in need of protection because of even before all of this, Ukraine's continued ethnic cleansing. That just kind of drifted away the moment that the narrative shifted and they're no longer Nazis on a dime. But but either way, the point is that these are elements that are provably not supporting of terrorism. Right. And, but it's just it doesn't matter. But again, it's obvious. That's why this fell flat. All right. A good day for Russia. What do you think happens now for that? Well, so that's the question. This is um, 
a final ruling. There is no appeal, poss- uh, appeal possible. Uh, and this was also uncharted waters. I mean, this, this treaty of, on the financing of terrorism had never been tested at the UN court. Uh, but it's part of a larger strategy by Ukraine, something that they've called lawfare. They're taking Russia to court in various different for, uh, fora. And they'll actually be back here at the ICJ within two days. On Friday, there will be another case here being discussed that Ukraine has brought against Russia, this time on the violation of the uh, Genocide Convention. Uh, and there again, the court will have its say on where this court has jurisdiction. So another uh, battle coming in, uh, between Russia and Ukraine here at the ICJ. I don't Banan think so. No. I mean, assuming this goes the same way, I kind of doubt it, right? I mean, it's they're just lobbing another false allegation at Russia. And it's not because I'm protecting one way or the other. I just don't think that's a valid claim. I just don't. The evidence is not there. It certainly could be the case, and I can't see the evidence. But while we're watching Ukraine lie about everything under the sun, it's kind of hard to see the obvious. But we'll wait and see what happens. And again, how crazy it is that we can have the other thing happen where the ICJ does provisionally rule that there is merit to the allegation of genocide and that and that Russia or uh, uh, Israel legally is required to do X, Y and Z. Stop the stop the bomb stop the, you know, mass killing, hold people accountable for in, in, in de- genocidal claims. None of that's happened. In fact, they've gone even harder after that and said publicly that they don't care, even though they continue to point at all sorts of other mechanisms and say, you have to follow this. Here's how they're not doing what they're supposed to, as they don't do what they're told. It's, just, it's, it's embarrassing. But here's here, to, to shift over into Iran, Megatron points out, and this is what I think is frustrating about this conversation. This was today. A war between U.S. and Iran is on the brink, which actually may be real or maybe possible, but not for the reason I think this is being stated. It says the U.S. has decided to target Iran's assets and military personnel. Now, that's not exactly even... Now, yes, they're claiming that. They're claiming that what they are going to target is Iranian, but that's not necessarily the truth. I haven't seen what they've bombed yet or are going to bomb, but the point is they're talking about the the, para, the uh, um, PMU. I don't know why I just blanked on the full uh, mobile, the para, uh, popular mobilization units, which is a, a militia, which is technically now part of the Iraqi military. So the point is that if you bomb them and claim it's Iran, or rather, if we report that it is an Iranian asset because they said they're bombing an Iranian asset, you're just towing their line. Now, look, I, I'm not I'm not criticizing. I mean, this is just being like a report. I, I tend to like what Megatron, you know, the news breaking stuff comes out. But let's be clear. They said they're going to be targeting Iran's, you know, military and, and, and oil installations and whatever else and the PMU. I'm going to argue that what they're actually going to do is extensions of the PMU like they do every time, which is what I told you would happen. I mean, even I told you that even before they came out and told you that it was not going to be directly Iran, but rather their assets and so on, because that's I mean, it was lunacy and it would have been had they even thought about actually bombing Iran for many reasons I went over in the last show. But this is we have to be clear about this, that when when they bomb a PMU outlet or, or, or location or one of their installations, it's not Iran, but they'll try to make that the case. Just make sure we understand that U.S. officials have confirmed to CBS News that plans have been approved for a series of strikes on a number of days. And we covered this in the last show. This We covered this, what, day before yesterday, which is what they said, including Iranian personnel and facilities inside Iraq and Syria. OK, so that's likely not Iranian facilities. As far as I know, there's not any like specific Iranian installations, but they work together. And I, I guarantee they ship different things. They're even you know, arming them weapons and so on. They're allies. U.S. does that to all sorts of terrible people around the world. Israel is one of them. 
The point, though, is that that's not Iran. And this is going to, they're going to try to use this to make it seem like they responded to Iran when I, that's not what's actually happening. And the reason I think that's important is because it's about the narrative. It's about the hype and continuing this flow towards the idea that this is anything other than the U.S. government bombing a territory it illegally occupies, because that's what's actually happening. Now, here's what Austin said today. It's a dangerous moment in the Middle East. Well, it's been a dangerous moment in the Middle East ever since you've stomped in there belligerently and occupied territories for your own interests at the expense of everybody else. The president will not tolerate attacks on American troops. Well, if they're in illegally occupied territories, it's a legal attack. Legal. Understand that. It doesn't mean we have to enjoy it, want it, like call for it. I don't want anybody to be hurt. But nonetheless, your U.S. government, if you're in the United States, is the one putting these people, you could even go as far as to call them human shields if you want, on an occupied territory. Knowing that legally under international law, which is why I continue to argue they pretended it was Jordan and not Altamf, which, by the way, Jimmy was just recently talking about, which is not a new topic. Vanessa Bealey and Eva Bartlett, we've talked about this going back years. The point is Altamf or the Al-Rukban camp is an illegal installation. But he made a good point that we just to contextualize it, that just so it's clear, that is an occupied territory that the U.S. government has created a U.S. base in illegally occupying a crime. So just realize how completely outside the realm of international law that is. No way to pretend that's justified. So now they're illegally occupying them. They have an illegal base that they've made, which cuts off all sorts of other aspects of what they need to, you know, their own tradeways and land bridges and so on. And then the group that they're occupying bombs them, shoots at them. Per the Fourth Geneva Convention, an occupied territory has the legal right to armed resistance. They don't have to be bombed first. They don't have to be attacked first. So for them to stand up and pretend like what they did is unjustified makes them the criminal. And they know this is the worst part. That's why they're ambiguous with the information, claim it was coming from Jordan. So when you're standing up there saying, we won't allow this to happen, well, you're the one breaking the law. Let's be clear about that. And neither will I. Our teammates were killed by radical militias backed by Iran. Well, supported, right? just like you support many number of other countries. But the point is, this is part of the very government that you're currently claiming to work with. How dumb is that? Part of the Iraqi military. I've showed you the document, the, the reports on that yes, the, the, the day before yesterday. Which, by the way, means that some of the weapon shipments over the years, they've ended up in the hands of the very people they claim they're fighting. Think about how stupid that is. Or manufactured, if you want. And operating inside Syria and Iraq. In the aftermath of the vile Hamas terrorist assault on Israel on October 7th, terror- Yeah, that just brushes over the four months of genocide in that nice little package. Terrorist groups backed by Iran and funded by Iran have tried to create even more turmoil. Have they? Regardless of what you think is actually happening, whether they're doing this just to get more things to happen, it's still legally protected under national law. That has to matter. I mean, that's just one of the most obvious points about this is that they're the very people pushing the rules-based international order. They're the ones calling on international law as it suits their interests while they provably violate it in every possible way. Including the Houthis attacking commercial shipping in the Red Sea. So this is a dangerous moment in the Middle East. We will continue to work to avoid a wider conflict in the region. 
But we will by, by bombing people, by insta by instigating more conflict, right? By bombing civilians, by bombing countries you illegally occupy and are also starving, and acting like that's a deterrent, even though I've never in my life seen a bombing by United States cause people to stop doing things. Because frankly, I don't think I think it's obvious that it doesn't, well, that's not what they want. Deterrence is not is not military action like that. We all know that. Now, in the, in the only sense that, like, you could argue, well, now I mean, like, you could argue that there's different ways that you could do it that might deter something by, but it's not by bombing installations that kill people that they then feel they need to respond to. They know that, so that's why I think it's obvious that their actions are designed to drive it further, or at the very least, get you know a tit for tat situation going on. Take all necessary actions to defend the United States, our interests, and our people. No, you're not. I can prove that. You know why? Because if you were, the only necessary action that would protect them would be to remove yourself from the illegal occupation. But you won't do that. And that's one of the possible options. So you're not doing everything you can. And we will respond when we choose, where we choose, and how we choose. Yeah, well, that's interestingly refreshing, as opposed to just, you know, stomping clumsily in and bombing whatever you want because you pretend you're the strong one. You're trying to emulate what they just did in response. But that, you know, in my opinion, it just it doesn't seem it doesn't hold water. Like to me, that's them trying to pretend like it's going to be a measured response when it might just be that they're not going to do anything at all because they don't think they have any good position right now. Now, that's what everyone here is focused on. Now, really, I think that ultimately my gut would tell me that they're going to do what they've done before, which is just it. That's not smart. It's not smart from their perspective, from in the reality of the situation. But that's doesn't usually guide their decision making process which is going to be, as I already predicted, to bomb Iraq and Syria, claiming they're bombing Iran locations like Megatron reported. That's what they're saying anyway, when it's really just the, paramil the popular mobilization units, which means they're bombing a, a, a part of the military of a location that they illegally occupy. So exactly what's happening in regard to Israel and Gaza. No surprise there. And here, just another point in regard to what he, he mentioned, Yemen, right? The idea that what they're doing is somehow some big terrorist act, even though it's obvious what's really going on. And the U.S. government's the only one that's been bombing in response to this and killing people. But it, actually, back to that very point, what they're doing is a good example of deterrence. They're choosing to selectively act in certain ways and, yes, using munitions, but they've never, they haven't killed anybody. In fact, they keep basically bombing to a degree these ships and they carry on their way they go they turn around and go back so they're not even trying to sink these ships it seems like it just shows you how clearly what they're doing is actually what they're saying they're going to stop ships delivering weapons that are going to murder people in gaza and if the u.s and uk continue to act they'll act in their way the, against them as well but everybody else is going through still it's not some massive hindrance to shipping it's only to things associated to israel and their actions therein and which has been proven over and over so here's what he has to say about the U.S. and their ridiculous actions around all of this. I believe that the American administration has gone beyond double standards. The American administration has gone back to the dark ages. The American administration, the current administration, deals with humanity as a whole as if it's a group of slaves. Who you must Very interesting, right? Deals with the world as a whole as if they're a group of slaves. Sounds pretty accurate. 
you must strike. This is the logic of the American administration, but this world, according to them, they are the masters of this world, they are allowed to do everything, they're killing for other human beings, there's nothing negative in them doing this according to their view, but if others dare to do anything against the masters, it's a catastrophe. That is the logic of the American administration. Three soldiers in an American military base who contribute to the aggression against our people, and I remind you that the American and Israeli media outlets at the beginning of the aggression against the Gaza Strip, they said that weapons and ammunition were transported to bases in this region, to American bases, via the warplanes to the Israeli occupation army. Three soldiers were killed. And at the same time, the American administration blocks its ears and closes its eyes to 30,000 Palestinian martyrs. Two-thirds of them or more are women and children. We're talking about 21,000 martyrs from women and children. And the American administration does not consider this to be genocide. It's crazy. Bottom line being simply that what they're doing is treating the world like it's va their vassal state and ignoring anything that they do as if, you know, it's in the interest of freedom. Well, anybody does anything they disagree with, that's terrorism. Now, here's what Anard Bertrand wrote about TikTok. Now, let's get into, into uh, the, the China conversation. I found this to be very important. We've talked a lot about this. I've said this many times, and I'm just glad that he broke this down in an easy way to relay. that, that tick, This game they're playing, that suddenly TikTok is the China bad guy app, when in reality... It's, it's really no different than any of the rest of them. They're all problematic, and they're all... Like, the point is that it's not what you'll see. To argue, first of all, that let's say the United States government controls Twitter. It's not ex exactly accurate, but I think it's very clear that there's a lot of influence there, if not maybe actually controlling it. It's up for you to decide. But we have to understand that these are not just benign things. There are very clear government overlap that they're using these to manipulate people, to spy, to surveil. So TikTok is no different. Now, is that the Chinese government doing that? Well, I, I don't I don't think it's the way they're framing it. Quite frankly, I think all of these governments utilize these things in certain ways. And we should also really ask whether there's more overlap than we actually pretend that there is to keep the divide going on. But the main point is the illusion around what is happening with TikTok and how the U.S. government does, in fact, have control over what it's acting like and doing like and surveilling in this country. And it's not even owned by a Chinese entity so we can prove, but they just try to make that the case. You're going to watch a video from Tom Cotton that is, Almost impossible to watch. Like, it's so wildly self-evident that he is just seeking his agenda. And it doesn't really matter. He'll, he'll contort this in a certain way to make it look like this person is what he says he is. The point is, as Arnaud writes, the most insane thing about TikTok, which most people do not realize, is that the way it works is the U.S. is entirely down to U.S. legislators. But they somehow prefer to blame China for not regulating the app in their own country, which is beyond absurd. He says China has their own version of TikTok called Doyen, on which they put all sorts of limitations in terms of content, moderation, number of hours, kids could be on it, etc. TikTok is entirely a foreign product. It doesn't even exist in China. The CEO is not Chinese, despite the racist innuendos by idiots like Tom Cotton, he writes. It's headquarters in Singapore, a U.S. ally. And if they wanted, U.S. legislators could very could clearly implement the exact same rules as China on U.S. soil. There is absolutely nothing that prevents them from doing so. America is fully sovereign in that respect. But no, 
Somehow, they prefer to point to the difference between Douyin and TikTok as some sort of evil Chinese plan to dumb down their population, when actually it's entirely a reflection of their own incompetence. Willful, willful, I would argue. If you think about it, it's the height of cynicism. They prefer to blame another country for a domestic problem than solving it. All part of America's post-reality era. Pretty well put. You guys, look, it's, it's everything you say there is clear, it's accurate and easy to prove. Here is what they're at, the back and forth, which I'm telling you is, is hard to watch. Dan had a lawsuit and it was overturned. I, I can't remember the no, details. No, it, and, and this is the CEO of TikTok. It's another it was company. the Biden administration that reversed those sanctions, just like, by the way, they reversed the terrorist designation on the Houthi te- Houthis in Yemen. How's that working out for them? But it was... I mean, was that, just really quickly, that's the same point. Like, just so it's clear, it was a group that has been engaged with before that. And the, and the game is it's just because Biden removed it, which, by the way, was actually a good thing because the Ansarallah movement, which they call the Houthi rebels, are not a terrorist organization. And the only reason they framed them like that, just like you heard a moment ago, is because they were, didn't they were didn't agree with what they wanted to accomplish. Sort of like when I told you before that they decided to remove terrorist allegations against entities only because they align with Israel. Avi Schleim just made that clear. That it's really the Abraham Accords are just agreements between authoritarian states and apartheid states. They're abusing this. It's not about actually what it looks like. So the same thing we're talking about here. Just he mentioned it quickly. I just want to throw that in there that it's these people are all political agenda. They do not care about what the facts show. No, no, it, it's another it was company. The Biden administration that reversed those sanctions, just like, by the way, they reversed the terrorist designation on the Houthi te- Houthis in Yemen. How's that working out for them? But <laughs> it was sanctioned. As- but it went back though. Now they're now they're terrorists again because Biden says a Chinese communist. But but they don't talk about that though, right? He can criticize Biden for pulling it away, but he put it back, puts it back, and we just move on. We don't go. Oh, but now it's good because it's not about the truth or what matters. It's about getting points against the other side. <laughs> I'm just, these people are so childish. Out for them, but it was sanctioned as a Chinese communist military company. So, you said today, as you often say, that you live in Singapore. Of what <laughs> just, even that statement? Are you accusing of lying? If you have evidence, put it forward. But it's just, it's the subtle insinuation that means his followers can all jump on and go, "Oh, there's he's a liar." Nation? Are you a citizen? Singapore. Are Singapore. you a citizen of any other nation? No, Senator. Have you ever applied for Chinese citizenship? Senator, I serve my nation I'm in asked, Singapore. I, no, I, I did not. <laughs> do you have a Singaporean passport? Yes, and I served my military for two, two and a half ha- years in Singapore. Do you, have any other, do you have any other passports from any other nations? No, Senator. Your wife is an American citizen. Your children are American citizens. That's have correct. You, have you ever applied for American citizenship? Not, no, not yet. Okay. Have you ever been a member of the Chinese Communist Party? Senator, I'm Singaporean. No. Have you ever been associated or affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party? No, Senator. Again, okay. I'm Singaporean. Let me ask you some hopefully simple questions. You said earlier, in response to a question, that what happened at Tiananmen Square in June of 1989 was a massive oh, protest. Did anything else happen in Tiananmen Square? Yes, I think it's well documented. There was a massacre. Uh, there was a, yeah. an indiscriminate slaughter of hundreds or thousands of Chinese citizens. Yeah, that, that's what massacre means, right? Maybe you thought you were going to get a gotcha moment there. Like, it's so clear that Cotton has already decided this person is some kind of secret agent. Maybe he is. But the point is that you just, you, like, you couldn't have figured this stuff out. Like, the way he's asking these questions is almost like he expected different responses. It's, is that, is, am I crazy or is this like really hard to watch? It shows you how, like, aggressively dishonest these people are. Yes, I think it's well documented. There was a massacre. Uh, there was an yeah. indiscriminate slaughter of hundreds or thousands of Chinese citizens. Do you agree with the Trump administration and the Biden administration that the Chinese government is committing genocide against the Uyghur people? 
Senator, I've said this before. I think it's really important that anyone who cares about this topic or any topic can freely express themselves very on simple, TikTok. It's a very simple question that unites both parties in our country and government. Let me ask you a question. Do you, does it matter to you whether, like, I mean, it's so interesting to me. Why do we care about the, I mean, obviously he's trying to lay groundwork to make it seem as if this guy is secretly working for China. That's the only thing he cares about. Evidence be damned. We'll let the public opinion of the world do it. That's what they do today. But why do we care so much? Like, other than there being some explicit evidence we can then look into, like the idea that he might be, you know, compassionate towards China or that Elon Musk might have X, Y, and Z. Why, why is that so important to us? Again, save for evidence that might suggest something bigger than that, that suddenly it's such a big deal because Elon Musk you know, agrees with this, you know, abortion should be bad or whatever. Like, it's just so crazy to me the way that we use and, and kind of contort these things. Because this person is what he's trying to ask him now is whether he thinks this is a genocide against the Uyghurs. What in the world does that have to do with whether or not TikTok is something that should be removed or censored or or regulated? Because he's trying to contort that into, therefore, he supports this. I mean, again, it's it's all abstract. But realize the point we're getting into is that none of these people care about a very clear genocide taking place against Palestinians. Governments around the world is the Chinese government committing genocide against the Uyghur people. Senator, anyone, including, you know, you can come into yes, TikTok yes, and sir, talk yes, about sir. this topic I'm asking you, yes, or any sir. topic. You that are a worldly, to. cosmopolitan, well-educated man who's expressed many opinions on many topics. Is the Chinese government committing genocide against the Uyghur people? Actually, Senator, I talk mainly about my company, and I'm yes, here to yes, talk sir. about what yes, TikTok no. does. Yes or no? You're here, we give, allow... you're here to give testimony that's truthful and honest and complete. <laughs> my God. Let me ask you this. Joe Biden last year said that Xi Jinping was a dictator. Do you agree with Joe Biden that Xi Jinping a dictator? Senator, I, I'm not going to comment on any world leaders. What? And I, I can promise you the ones that have already want to are using this like some huge gotcha moment. Oh, he won't even say it. Like, it's just it's a, I, the two party paradigm increasingly gets more cartoonish with every day. Now, that's not even to say that maybe he is a secret agent or maybe he is working for China. The point is that ultimately just the insinuation is not enough to carry these conversations. But it seems to be for people in the two party paradigm. By the way, look at this. This guy, this this uh, caveman sitting next to D Tom Cotton behind him. Doesn't surprise me that that's the kind of person doing his research or lack thereof. Either way, this is pretty crazy to me that this this is the argument, right? I mean, I, I, so the point is that it's all about trying to contort these things in to benefit the agenda. Do you think Tom Cotton actually cares about Uyghurs? Do you think that Tom Cotton or anybody in our government truly cares about human life while they're happily, like, proudly ignoring what's going on in Gaza or proudly ignoring any number of other examples we've talked about. You know, we've in the past, we've talked about the, you know, Rohingya or these different conversations and how the way that the government uses them or chooses to ignore them until a certain point comes to pass. Or, or how about the mass starvation of people in Venezuela or the mass starvation and ongoing uh, war crimes being committed against people in Yemen? These are all completely proudly committed by these governments. But all we want to talk about is, the, and I think that's a very telling point. Now, again, or rather, I guess I said this early on in the show, the point for me, though, is that does not then mean by default that China's not treating these people, or let's just say committing war crimes, treating them as sub or rather specifically violating their human rights. Whether that amounts to war crimes or genocide, that's a different question. But I think it's quite obvious that these people are being put in camps. They are being re-educated or demilitarized. The same kind of stuff we're hearing and the same things they're doing to Palestinians right now. So it matters. If one matters, the other one matters. That's the important thing we have to understand. Here's what Aaron Mate says. A fresh reminder. Oh, and this is coming off of uh, this uh, 
different clip from Arnaud Batron saying, wow, wow, absolutely bombshell of an article on uh, Xinjiang, which is the location we're talking about in regard to the Uyghurs. First, it says, first of all, the article is written by probably the two most highly respected German um, sinologists saying that uh, they wrote this article after having themselves done their own private investigation on the area, saying, if you don't speak German, here's what it basically says. They confirmed that what happened there was a result of, quote, massive Islamist terror between 2010 and 2016. So these are important factors because this is coming from, uh, let's see, what was this platform again? Just it uh, looks like a, oh, that's he already said, a, a prominent German platform. And he's saying that these are, you know, highly respected scholars on this topic of, of China. And they're saying that this was the result of Islamic terror. Now, just because of that, if you believe that, that does not then mean that you're allowed to treat people like they're subhuman. That's the same point you made in Palestine. You don't just get to decide they're bad guys. Therefore, we can do whatever we want because our, our people are a threat. Even if it's real, the whole point of rules-based international order or human rights or international law is that it is a balanced concept, you know, hypothetically that you don't just get to decide that somebody is the bad guy so you get to just shoot them on the spot, that there is always due process, there's always human rights, there's always you know the, a process. But it's obviously not true. They, both Israel and U.S. governments prove that on a daily basis. But the point is, in this case, if you take this at face value, and I do believe this is the case, that these groups were, were doing bad things. And so it's not just the fact they just dislike them for what they are, and so they put them in camps. Those things matter. At least based on this, just please decide for yourself. It says they learned that in, or they remind that in 2016, extremist Uyghurs declared in an ISIS video that they planned to drown Han Chinese in a sea of blood. Doesn't that matter? Like, you know what the US government would do or Israel would do? They would probably murder people after that with no justification. And it goes, and that they began recruiting young Uyghurs as fighters from Afghanistan and Pakistan in southern Xinjiang. Doesn't that, it's interesting, isn't it? Now we're going to get into why I think these are interesting, specifically places like Afghanistan, where the U.S. government has been funding extremists for a very long time. All this almost led to a loss of control by the central government. Now if, imagine what the U.S. government would justify if there was a if there was a, a massive group. I mean, look at what they're doing about militias. Like I'm not going to get into it today, but there's a bill being floated about illegalizing militias, despite the fact that it's literally enshrined in our constitution. Think about how crazy that is. There's a whole weird story about some guy cutting his father's head off. We'll probably get into in the next show. The point, though, is that what do you think they would do and kind of what they're already doing, aiming at all sorts of, you know, domestic terrorists and MAGA groups and so on. If they felt there was a clear entity that was doing to the point to where they felt they were about to lose control of the central government, I mean, they would do anything and they would justify it all. Not for the bad guy enemy, though, right? You're not allowed to have the same rights and the same allowances. Neither one of them should be allowed to do these things is the point. As a result of the Beijing, as a result, Beijing felt compelled to respond with undoubtedly excessive measures to curb terror and gain control, which, I mean, these things need to be engaged with just because, like I said, that you think that they're terrorists does not mean that you can disregard their rights. International, I mean, the human rights, international law, the international, the internal security of all of China was at stake, they argue. It should not also not be overlooked that the Uyghur population itself suffered from terror. That's from the article saying Beijing's response was a transnational phase between 2017 and 2020, where Beijing was forced to declare a state of emergency, move military units to the area and establish a strict discipline regime. Now, who knows what all, if, how much of this is completely accurate and how much is what China used as an argument to justify what they're doing. I think that's the, the points that I wanted to get out there for the most part. So the idea, obviously, I think. Is Aaron is referencing, you know, the Uyghur genocide and he says a reminder 
and I, I mean, this is in quotes as he's writing it, that the Uyghur genocide is a typical neocon scam. Now, I agree with that in the sense of genocide. I really do. I don't think that's exact, especially as we're watching a real genocide carry out. But that does not mean that there were, there, I think there were human, their rights were violated. I think there's human rights violations for sure, possibly to the level of war crimes. He goes, yet media professionals widely parroted it, forgetting that words and evidentiary standards have meaning. And that's in regard to the term genocide, right? It's weird until only until Israel did we suddenly start caring about the in, the the metrics for what it actually means to be used. They would call anything genocide if it was, you know, Russia blinked too hard that day. Oh, genocide, genocide every day. Suddenly we have to, you know, investigate every bombing and make sure we're accurate. And it's just, it's, and again, I think everybody was laughing about that in a macabre sense, actually. But he goes, notable that the Biden administration has quietly stopped saying it. Now, here's what's funny. You can show right up until 2023 that the Biden administration at some level was still calling this genocide. But what you get from the left-right paradigm is that they were saying it, you know, too softly. Or that they, you know, that they, which is hilarious to me that it's really, if they're all on the same side and they just try to make it look like the same side as little different layers, it's just about keeping the divide going. They're all completely against China. and They're all completely calling it genocide. And it's just hilarious you know, look, we should ask whether China has undue influence over somebody, maybe Biden. But it, it's all insinuation at this point. You know, you listen to Bannon's war room and you'll come away thinking China is literally running our country today. And it's certainly possible. Quite frankly, I think there's a lot of right wing talking points and manipulation and all that. The two party paradigm. We should be concerned about any foreign government. Why don't we talk about Israel? I care about all of it. What we can see is provable evidence that Israel has influenced our government. I don't. I mean, I see efforts by every government, Russia, China, any of them, that try to influence and insinu- uh, you know, incite, insinuate, do whatever they want about our, our policy, try to convince our people of something that benefits their country. I mean, it's everywhere. But provably, we can see absolute on-document evidence that Israel's doing that. I don't see the same from China. Tell me what you see. Send it to me. I'd love to see it. I get a lot of partisan insinuations. But the point here, Going back to 2021, here's Biden's administration calling it a genocide. Just one follow-up on the Quad Summit tomorrow. Does the president plan on speaking with our allies about ways we can force China to stop the genocide it's committing against the Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang in that summit tomorrow? Well, I know that uh, addressing uh, the genocide um, uh, against Uyghur Muslims is something that will be a topic of of discussion with the Chinese directly next week. Uh, But certainly this conversation uh, tomorrow, and we're hoping I've invited National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan to come uh, and give you a readout of that meeting. I know there's a lot of interest in the Quad Summit tomorrow. um, But we expect the conversation to be about a range of global issues. Uh, It is not focused on China. Of course, China is a topic on the minds of many leaders and countries, but we expect they will talk about uh, the climate crisis, about economic cooperation, about addressing COVID, uh, a range of issues and discussions. And, um, you know, certainly the position of the United States is that uh, what is happening uh, is genocide. And we, um, you know, we'll look for opportunities to work with uh, other partners on uh, putting additional pressure on the Chinese. But we- what's what's crazy to me is she's clearly saying, you know, what's going on is a genocide. But what they're talking about here in this tweet is that referring to it as in the past tense, where'd that happen? To miss my point, like there's just like this really clumsy effort to make it seem like one side cares a little bit less about this one. And it's about because China's influence. I mean, if it was China's influence, wouldn't they be going? It didn't happen at all. They're completely lying about them that China's doing good things. It just seems really 
it's just, there's so much partisan influence on this stuff. It's crazy to me. But I just want you to see clearly, here's 2021 a little further, Biden signs historic bill punishing China for Uyghur genocide. So both sides actively name this genocide. I want That's important for the point about how they do not want to call what's happening in Palestine a genocide, despite mountains more evidence and death and open calls for genocide, clear statements of intent, all the real, the provable things you need for to accuse someone of genocide, not just casually calling what you say is an ethnic effort against a certain population, some of which is killing them, is genocide because that suits your personal, you know, political interests. This is a statement from, uh, this is, and this goes back to Pompeo, interestingly enough, at the tail end of Trump's administration, saying, after careful examination of the available facts, I've determined that under direction of control of the CCP, they have committed genocide. So both sides. I just want to make sure it's very clear. And this one was, which one was this? The, oh, this is 2023, right? So this is January 2023. So this is Biden's administration. So up until last year, even, and I think still is the point they're saying, we see it in the genocide and crimes against humanity being committed against predominantly Muslim Uyghurs and other ethnic groups. Uh, that they this is you know committed in in China rights violations and so on and the point is they discuss this as genocide in the document. Here, this one is uh, medium re- religious freedom for all, but it's done by U.S. aid. Interestingly enough, twenty twenty, so it's Trump's administration timeframe, and it says President Trump signed the Uyghur Human Rights Policy Act. The legislation allows the United States to take decisive measures against China in response to its unacceptable treatments of Uyghurs. Right, so the point is the same. It's all about both sides framing this for something that I think achieves a certain end. That's my opinion. That, again, is not to say that China did not act illegally against these people, but even though I think that they felt that there was a lot, a, that these people were being used against them. Not to say that China wouldn't abuse their human rights. I mean, for crying out loud, look at what they're doing to people everywhere else. There's technocratic surveillance and control and, you know, social credit. It, please do not take what I'm saying as somehow China would do the right thing. I do not believe that. I think their government is just as problematic if not more than ours but what i'm seeing here is that they and that and what this what shows you that is the fact that they abuse these people even though you know they i guess you could choose not to but i believe that there is an element of this that's being done to them i really do so here is before we go to the next part this is just the wikipedia page about the Uyghur genocide and what i'm going to show you is just how everybody seems to have called it genocide at one point or another then the main point is that every single one of these groups are trying to shout you down for calling the real current genocide, what's going on, a genocide. Which, by the way, the World Court has clearly also argued that. Now, this is Canada, July 2020, basically saying that the the Parliament of Canada recognized the abuses as genocide, concluded the Chinese Communist Party amounts to genocide. Uh, You know, these are the same groups acting like we have to investigate and we have to get all the certain metrics and intent. Where's that here? They didn't do that here. This, this conversation was just budding. Well, not really, technically. It went back a lot further. But my point is that they did not have the level of evidence they have about Palestine, and they were happy to say that then. Just like with Russia, they already accused them of genocide without any investigation. The Canadian House of Commons voted 266 to zero to approve a motion to recognize China as committing genocide. So they went through all these different levels. Here is the United States. Now, I mean, interest of time, just so you guys can read through this for yourself, the point is, Multiple senators from both sides of the aisle come out and issue a determination of genocide. National Review reports the U.S. government genocide determinations are an incredibly tricky thing. They require solid evidence to meet the criteria set out by the... 
So they even acknowledge that they need those things. They did not meet those things, but they still argue genocide nonetheless. As of the 2020 November discussion, U.S. Senator, multiple more senators recognize same thing, that it's genocide in a Senate resolution. January 2021, Pompeo announces the one we showed you, calling it genocide. Incoming Biden administration had already declared, by the way, in 2020, that in their campaign, that they've already determined that it is genocide, that America would continue to recognize it as genocide. But this, this, this was interesting. The quote came out where he says, the fact that culturally there are different norms that each country and their leaders are expected to follow, which then, because that's how the two-party paradigm works, even though they've continued to call it genocide, becomes that he says there's cultural differences to justify genocide. I don't actually think that's what he's even saying. And I'm no fan of Joe, of genocide Joe. Not at all. Not, I'm not no fan of, of Trump either. But the point is, it's not really, it, they do this all the time. They just make it into what they want. And now the as they're both calling it genocide, he just isn't calling it genocide hard enough. So he worked for China. Makes a lot of sense. July 2021, while speaking at the Singaporean branch of the Internal Institute for Strategic Studies and American Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin called it genocide, crimes against humanity. March 2023, House of Representatives also deems it genocide. Now you can go through the rest of them. Israel, interestingly enough, voted to condemn their actions, which is you know ridiculous, seeing as how in 2021 they've been occupying Palestine and genocide in that entity for decades. Russia, Belarus, Turkmenistan, many other groups uh, expressed support for China's policies, supported their policies. Now, obviously, you could argue that's a political ob objective there, but ask yourself why all these countries would agree and support it. Maybe they like genocide. Maybe they don't think that's what's happening. Maybe they've recognized that the U.S. government and U.S. aid and these groups have carried out agendas like this in, from their inception. Nepal, Pakistan, Sri Lanka have signed a U.N. document supporting China's policies as well. Pakistan, July 2021, the prime minister said in an interview, it was Khan at the time, that he believes the Chinese version of the facts pertaining to abuses in this area, that undue attention was being given to what they're doing there, and they're basically saying that it was ultimately overblown. Interesting, this person is no longer there, and I believe he's even been put in jail. Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, and Philippines have issued statements in support of China's policies. Myanmar. Laos, I mean, these are locations that have gone through genocides and are supporting China's policies. I find that interesting. In February 2019, uh, Turkish foreign minister state made a statement saying it's a great shame for humanity, essentially siding with the Uyghurs in this conversation. Czech Republic unanimously passed a motion condemning the abuses and naming them both genocide and crimes against humanity. France, same thing, genocide. Lithuania, uh, basically saying it's crimes against humanity that constitute genocide, so the same point. Netherlands, calling it a genocide. Ukraine, interestingly, had originally signed on to it in 2021, which called for independent observers to be provided, but withdrew its signature two days later. Isn't that interesting? I don't even know what I would think this means. Ukrainian lawmakers later stated that China had forced the policy pivot by threatening to limit trade and block a scheduled shipment of at least, guess what, 500,000 COVID injections. I'm not even sure how I think that fits into everything, but I find that really interesting. There's something in there, I think. United Kingdom, a letter was signed, uh, basically United Kingdom signing a massive letter, get this, accusing China of systematic and calculated program of ethnic cleansing against the country's Uyghur minority and compared them to Nazi Germany. I just think this is so interesting. While they're all very aware, to some degree, I would argue, of what's been ongoing in Palestine for a very long time. Or, by the way, that they've been openly starving and blockading to the point, at very least, to the point of war crimes, Yemen for a decade. 
Hundreds of thousands of people have died due to starvation. And that's not this. I mean, not a word about that. 2021 British Parliament rejected a resolution would have, which have banned UK trading with other countries engaged with genocide. Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson opposed the resolution. So they rejected a resolution that would have banned them from dealing with countries engaged in genocide. Why would they not want that? It's like putting forward the Stop Arming Terrorist Act and having almost every, every congressman vote it down, which is real. That was Tulsi Gabbard. And it was a very simple bill. It was simply, we should not arm people that are on the watch list. And, and they all voted no. Like sometimes you get those insights because they can't have that. Same thing here. Because I think they know Israel and some others or Saudi Arabia. Well, they, they need to be able to trade with them. So we don't want to sign that and trap ourselves as if they care about their own legislation anyway. They're arming the Azov movement. There's a current bill in place that says that that's illegal, but nobody cares. 2021, House of Commons unanimously passed it, calling it a genocide. Now, this is just other domestic reactions. Chinese government officials and many Chinese people state that foreign discor uh, discourses Cast in terms of genocide, human rights abuses, and concentration camps simply show foreign political bias and ignorance of the facts. Here is what they say in general, in very simplest terms on BBC, so I'm sure there's stuff they, let it, they left out. China says the crackdown on Xinjiang is necessary to prevent terrorism. Well, sounds very similar to what we hear from the belligerent illegal actions of the U.S. government. And root out Islamist extremism. Same point. Same with Israel. And the camp's are an effective tool for re-educating inmates in its fight against terrorism. Well, it, well, let's think Guantanamo Bay or publicly what Israel's saying about all Palestinians right now. De-radicalize them. Same point. As we see the same images of Palestinians in bags and brain and, and blindfolds, it's just like we saw with the Uyghur conversation. I just it's my point is obviously that there's a very clear hypocrisy taking place here, a double standard. It insists that Uyghur militants are waging a violent campaign for an independent state, which is, by the way, what they always do. What they did with the Ukrainian situation, what they do with the Kurds, what they're doing with Taiwan, is they motivate these people to push for their independence when really it's about using them to batter them against the people they want to destabilize and they could care less what happens to you. Ask the Kurds. But say by, by plotting bombings, sabotaging civil, un uh, sabotage, civil unrest, which is pretty much the MO of USAID and the rest of them, CIA, but is an accused of exaggerating the threat in order to justify repression of them. China has dismissed claims it is trying to reduce the Uyghur population through mass sterilizations as baseless and says allegations of forced labor are completely fabricated. Now, I, who knows? I would not be surprised if both those things are true. What's interesting is you can prove that Israel, the United States, and, other, and their assets around the world are very clearly involved with forced labor. Look at the lithium mines all over Africa or the allegations of steril mass sterilizations. I mean, they've literally been caught for using campaigns, maybe by accident, if you want to believe, that sterilize people in Africa. I mean, there's many examples of that, and that stems directly from U.S. agendas. So is it accusing them of that which you are guilty? Are they both doing the same thing? You guys can decide for yourself, but you can clearly begin to see the double standard. Now, this is the U.S. sanctions tracker. So it says, the, the following is a list of actions that have been taken by the U.S. government in response to what they claim are gross human rights violations against Uyghurs and other Muslim groups. And this is all against China. 117 punitive sanctions, five laws and policy statements have been passed, 11 investment bans, the Xinjiang Construction and Production Corps under, is under four separate sanctions, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, a law banning the import of products made by them. But who cares about the ones they get from the Palestinian lands, right? It's just so much hypocrisy. And it goes on from there. There's all, my point is, all of this is because of the allegations 
which I do agree there are some levels of, of human rights violations, but how many things have been done against Israel? Oh, that's right. They sanctioned Hamas. And that's it. Right? So nothing about the last 75 years of brutal op- apartheid, oppression, occupation, rape, theft, murder, I mean, human shields, organ theft, all of it being clearly proven, even reported by Haaretz. Going back as far as you want to look, I've talked about all of it. But here's December 13th, 2023. U.S. Britain imposed new sanctions on Hamas, which what the hell is that going to do? Their leaders are in Qatar who are still reaping the benefits from Israel's support as much as we want to pretend otherwise. And do you think that's going to affect anything? You're not going to sanction, you're going to do anything about it? Of course not. Not even when the world court deems it plausible that they're committing genocide. But they did actually do something. This is actually interesting, but I think in the same vein, this is just about saving face. And really, it amounts to basically nothing as far as I'm concerned. And I'll show you why. This is from today, I think, or yesterday. This today. In a historic move, Biden actually sanctioned extremist Israeli settlers in the West Bank. But they're not Americans. It's saying that they will, and there's a lot of them, by the way. There's a lot of them, like, you know, American, Israeli, illegal Israeli settlers. Their assets in the U.S. will be frozen, should they have them. Biden's order will further allow the U.S. to impose sanctions on additional individuals targeting Palestinian civilians. Well, wait a minute. So not the Israeli government doing way more than them, provably, by any metric, but the group that they gave legal authority, which is unjustified, to arm themselves and go beat, rape, and, and do whatever else they've done already, provably, according to Haaretz. How does that make sense? And on top of that, my point is, if you're going to sanction Israelis that are not American, and I, you know, they may have U.S. assets, but maybe not, do you think that's going to ultimately matter? Is it going to affect them in any way, or is it just a meaningless sentiment that's meant to make you look like you're doing something while actually ignoring the largest problem for a small secondary, well, a, an important secondary aspect of it? This feels like a huge sidestep to me, quite frankly. If you're going to sanction anybody, you could obviously sanction the group that le- was just legally accused of genocide, that which the court said has merit. This is just this is just an extension of that group. I mean, that's how crazy this is. So, frankly, I don't buy. I don't think this is legitimate. This is Biden's administration trying to gain back some support before the election, and really to make it look like they're not part of an obvious complicit compl- part of a genocide. Now, let's talk about the Uyghurs in regard to where I think this might be stemming from. And this is hypothetical. This is just my thoughts. What I went over, what we can prove right there. This is just simply trying to show you that I do think that it's the MO of these groups to fund, seed, and drive extremism to destabilize and manipulate entities that they want to destabilize and manipulate. We saw that in Syria. We saw that in Yemen and Venezuela. We saw it everywhere. They do this as a matter of policy. Israel isn't fooling anyone by speaking up for Uyghur Muslims. Its self-interest is obvious. This was from 2021, July. Last month, Israel, this is 2021 again, Israel called out China over human rights abuses against more than 1 million ethnic Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang. This was reportedly after U.S. pressured it to do so. It says down here that Beijing denies all allegations of abuse against the Uyghurs. Although the regime initially denied the existence of the forced incarceration camps, it now describes them as vocational training facilities. So you can look at that as a lie that they got caught in, which completely shows you that they're trying to hide certain things, or maybe they just didn't see them as incarceration facilities. But either way, that's pretty much what they obviously are. You're putting people in these four, they don't want to be there. You're putting them in these re-education camps. I mean, that's just, that's, that's, 
straight out of Nazi times, right? Or the same thing they're doing to Palestinians right now. But realize that that is the same kind of overlap here, that there's about the narrative versus the reality. The U.S. government does this every day, but they're still committing rights violations, in my opinion, against these people. The question is, are these people being driven to act crazy and irrational and extremist to achieve an agenda from the outside? Jingjiang cities are under occupation. Police checkpoints are in place every few hundred meters. Surveillance cameras are everywhere. The government is also attempting to wipe out the Uyghur identity of the region, destroying mosques, bulldozing traditional neighborhoods, and banning the Uyghur language. Now, this is from Middle East Monitor, understand. The same systematic, which I believe those are happening. Nobody should be okay with that. The same systematic offenses are all too familiar to the Palestinians living under Israeli occupation. This week alone, 2021, mind you, this is not post-October 7th, just the week alone in 2021 in July we're talking about, Israel bulldozed land owned by the Islamic Endowment Department in Palestine in the neighborhood of Al-Siwane in occupied Jerusalem. On Wednesday, the Israeli authorities demolished an Arab Bedouin village of Al-Arakib. In the southern Negev region, guess what? This is not a typo. For the 190th time. Is that, is that because Hamas invaded on October 7th? That the 190 times they destroyed the same village? I mean, how is this not possibly publicized? How is this not the biggest thing in the world? And that's there's plenty of other locations that are more than that. 190 times over 75 years, they have demolished this Bedouin village. I just can't even wrap my mind around how crazy that is. And nobody cares about that. Moreover, an Israeli-run Jerusalem municipality, and by the way, realize these are people that have been displaced to this location, and then they get removed again. Moreover, the Israeli-run Jerusalem municipality has called for the eviction of 100 Palestinian families from their homes under the pretext that they were built without permits. You know, the places that they shoved them into when they displaced them the first time, and then would f they refused to ever give them permits, which we can prove. And then when they decide one day, they go, oh, you don't have permits, you got to move again. That's, it's a manufactured situation. They've applied for permits every year since they've been there. I can prove this. They just deny it. And then later say they don't have it. And then, then have them pay to demolish their own home. This is just the most sinister thing ever. This is why this has been such a hard, important topic to get out. Because it's been this way for so long. Once the families are evicted, said local media, they will be demolished to make way for a park for illegal settlers. Israel cannot convince any reasonable person that it is concerned about the human rights of Uyghur Muslims. I agree. China is the occupation state's second largest trading partner after the United States. We don't. Th this is what I constantly show you. Israel has a real relationship with China. And by the way, that's where a lot of this transfer of American technology comes from. Israel, you don't need enemies when you've got friends like Israel is the point. And this is, I think, about creating the dynamic that benefits Israel. But this is about, I think, a U.S. agenda that they're going along with to a degree. The occupation state, but to be clear, the United States and Israel's governments have provably over the years funded, as we've said more than once, the most radical elements of Islam, while pointing at that as the reason that they should exist. And the point is that they do this because the moderate elements of the groups they don't agree with are not as bad and scary. That they, the point is that they want that to be what your impression of Islam or Muslims are, are is around the world. And this is, the, this is the same reason they funded Hamas and then pointed Hamas as the problem. How do we not see this by now? The occupation state is thus simply finding it difficult to balance its interests of two major allies to protect its own national interests. Human rights concerns are purely self-serving. I completely agree with that. 
So this is just a quick point. Just one of these. This is from uh, this the 2023 October. Why Uyghurs cannot unconditionally support Palestinians? Now, these are just brief points. Maybe they mean nothing. But my point is simply to show you that there is a level of these of of the Uyghur community that seems to support Israel, which in every sense does not add up. They're just pointing out, just saying, then I went from here to research more. Some Uyghur organizations receive financial support from governments like the United States and pro-Israel organizations. Now, how does that make sense? Here's USAID 2021. USAID, and let's be clear about this, by the way, USAID, as Corbett put it, are just simply Trojan horses of regime change. I mean, this is, they've even admitted this themselves. More than once, I think, of the one I've shown you a direct quote where they basically say, paraphrasing, that they do today what the CIA used to do in clandestine fashion 60 years ago. So it's they're ad- essentially admitting that what they do is regime change, tactics. But they don't say that. They act like they're fighting for freedom, and they act like that's what the CIA was doing. The point is, this is not something you should trust. This is not a group that's interested in democracy or saving other countries. It is a trap door. It is a Trojan horse. USAID takes the... Well, let me grab this real quick, actually. See if that pops up. Oops. Uh, let's just do Corbett. Should pop up. There it is. NGOs are the deep state's Trojan horses. That's the title. I'll include that for you. It's worth watching. Oh, and by the way, maybe you might have noticed that he up he changed his website. I, was, I, didn't, I didn't see that until just recently. So, USAID in regard to the Uyghurs, takes these atrocities very seriously and is responding to them by supporting the documentation of genocide and crimes against humanity. We will soon, which I argue means they've been doing it for 10 years, more than that. We've seen them in Taiwan, same point. We will soon launch a new religious freedom activity. What does that mean? That will in part address the Uyghur crisis, a new religious freedom activity. USAID welcomes Congress's bipartisan support on the issue. So the the title was Democratic Values in the Indo-Pacific in the Era of Strategic Competition. Yeah, in the era of, exactly. That's what it's really about. And it says, we are expanding support for civil society, human rights defenders, and independent media. Read exactly what you would think, right? Destabilization, our our assets, and our manipulative media that we put into place to promote accountability in those pow- in those for those in power, or to remove the ones we don't like. The project will also seek to work with members of the religious minority groups. Right, so the opposition, including Uyghurs who have been displaced from China, enabling them to tell their stories. Same thing they do with Iran. These groups are absolutely involved with... Now, look, let's just take it at face... Let's just pretend for sake of conversation that this is exactly what's happening. First, with the Uyghurs, China's abuse. That doesn't have to be false for this to be the same, to be, to be manipulative. They would step in and still, using the ploy, using the, 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 the plight of these people to achieve what they want. It's the same thing they do everywhere. So it, you, that could be the case. They're just taking advantage of a genocide or war crimes to then use that to manipulate and destabilize China. Or they could have actually deployed these people for the interest of doing that so they can then use the same action. Either way, this is what they do. Here is, interestingly, a change.org petition. And you can look up this guy's Twitter f- account for that matter. And what it says is, this is, this is November at the end of 2023. So very recent. <clears throat> Basically, they're, they're worried about the hypocrisy of Arslan Haidiat, who is the program manager of Campaign for Uyghurs, who is a Uyghur himself, with respect to his position on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Apparently, he first declared support for Palestine on October 5th, but then five days later, switched his support for Israel. 
and issued a so-called apology, saying, ironically, now apparently he's back to supporting Palestine. But it shows you an interesting overlap there. Here's one from a, another prominent aspect uh, element in the Uyghur discussion. This is the foreign minister of the exiled government of Turkestan saying, well, some Uyghurs may differ. I hashtag stand with Israel against the aggression of Hamas, which is backed by China and Iran. As China supports Palestine, it relentlessly wages genocide and maintains an occupation in Turkestan. So to me, this is Palestine, along with many Muslim nations, shamelessly sided with our oppressors. I mean, it's interesting. So to me, that's hard to back. The argument that you wouldn't see the obvious occupier as the Israeli occupation of Palestine, as opposed, either way, that to me is an interesting point that seems to suggest that there might be more underlying support for Israel where it does not make sense because of other reasons. Here's just a random chat group where they're talking about this. You guys can look through it for yourselves, saying the U.S. is trying to use these Muslims to create a rift between China and the real Muslim world, which does make sense. It's interesting. Here is the Israeli post from 2022, from the Jerusalem Post. Israel joins 50 nations in condemning China's imprisonment of Uyghurs. But again, this is as they're ethnically cleansing an obvious group. One of the most obviously considered discussions. Palestine has been discussed for a very long time. So very self-serving. This is Axios reporting 200 Jewish groups urged Biden to take action against the Uyghur genocide. The horror stories of Uyghurs taken in the night, separated from their families, sound familiar? And put on trains to forced labor camps are all too familiar to the Jewish community. Right? Well, th you could argue that's discussing Nazi concentration camps. Right? But, I mean, we know that's what they're insinuating. But let's consider the fact that we could talk about Zionists doing that to Palestinians right now. And maybe one of the reasons why this motivated effort was most of these Jewish groups that you could talk about are very clearly Zionist influenced. Not all. But the point here I want to end with on this, and that's, again, those are all just kind of floated points that I want you to consider. You guys can think for yourselves. But let's remember, as we just talked about the suspected terrorist everyone was trying to blame on Azerbaijan, it turns out to be a Mossad, at least, uh, at least working with Mossad in Egypt to support, uh, to what's the word I'm looking for, recruit members of, some, of Mossad. This is a guy who was arrested in Egypt and went to prison for 10 years for recruiting for Mossad, which is what this person ended up to be, even though he was on the border saying he was from Palestine. And ultimately, go through the show, we can back this up very clearly. I think what we're staring at in most of these cases are the same thing we've been seeing throughout Syria and other locations, which we know Israel plays a very strong part in, which is creating the very terror they use to justify their Zionist actions. Which, by the way, here is Haaretz from 2022. How Israel uses radical Islam to justify its occupation. Which I knew I was going to grab. I should have just grabbed it first. But just, you know, to make the simplest point for those with the current context. <clears throat> Uh-oh, did it go away finally? Nope, there it is. Here's Haaretz telling you two days after October 7th that the Likud party, specifically Netanyahu's party, anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to bolster support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. This is part of our strategy. You know, the Palestinian state that all, all, up until only recently were they pretending they always wanted while funding Hamas and pretending they were the reason they couldn't do it. They're dishonest about everything they're doing here, the Zionist government. So my point is they're funding these elements. So is it not possible that this has been an effort to destabilize, whether through United States or Israel, China, to make them more amenable to what you ultimately want to accomplish? Something we should very much consider. Again, does not mean that, I mean, in fact, I think it's provable that China is abusing these people. But taking Israel's narratives and U.S. narratives, doesn't it change the dynamic a little bit? 
neither side should be able to justify human rights violations because of X, Y, and Z. But it seems like they both are. That's the point. Oh, and as well as the fact that you see that this is being used against people. And I, I look, I would argue very clearly that I think China's attempted in certain ways the same kind of things, but we can, this is a track record for the U.S. government to be funding the worst elements of all these locations and then later pointing at those elements to justify its theft, occupation, and so on. So we're at, uh, let's see, about two hours. Let me see what we can get through, wrap up here at the end. Or not not, not now, I mean, but it's <laughs> just fact, man, you're thinking about the time frame. Caitlin Johnstone writes, and this is where we'll start the Israel segment today in general. Top 10 reasons that people support Israel. One, their favorite political party supports Israel. Number two, they were taught to support Israel and revising their worldview is hard. Number three, they believe the media would never lie to them. Number four, they hate Muslims. Number five, they want Jesus to come back and send non-believers to hell. Number six, their employment depends on it. Number seven, they have a personality that always sides with power. Number eight, they want to fit in socially with other people who support Israel. Number nine, they hope to retire in an Israeli settlement someday, an illegal settlement. Number 10, they want a career in media. <laughs> I love that. Kind of hard to see exactly that, that, that that's exactly right. Now, going from those points, here's many examples of that. Arnab Batran writes, and the winner for the most repugnant and dishonest article of the month, or if not, <laughs> that I've ever, almost ever seen in Newsweek, with the title... Israel implemented more measures to prevent civilian casualties than any other nation in history. That's real. And even took a screenshot just in case they deleted this. This is, I mean, this is a real article. This is from yesterday from Newsweek. Israel implemented more measures to prevent civ- I can't even believe that. Like you can try and argue that they've put measures forward to try to minimize, but you can prove that's not happening. Even their own allies are now going, you gotta do more, which means they're not doing everything they can. So if they're not doing everything they can, and they're being told they should do more, how are they implementing more than any nation in history? There's only two ways to look at this, right? Either they're lying about that, and they're clearly not doing that, or the most alarming thing to consider is that they are. And that's still what they're doing. And that means that just nobody in the media has ever cared that the U.S. government or the rest of them are just so haphazardly bombing civilians, which, by the way, is, that might actually make sense. Look at Obama's drone bomb campaign, 90-something percent civilians. And that just wasn't something we blew up and made a big deal. How's that, how's that possible? Now, frankly, I think it's the first. I think it's very obvious that they have not taken measures more than any of their countries. It's just very clear to me. But it's something worth considering that they may think that's a valid argument because they also know how little other countries actually care about civilians. That's one of the things that Israel is demonly doing a lot these days is essentially admitting bigger things by trying to cover their butts or showing you the true dark nature of what's going on in order to save themselves from what's happening. Now, taking that statement, more than any other nation in history, and then look at this. Arnaud Batran writes, I rarely praise The Guardian, but this is an extraordinary visual investigation of the sheer level of destruction. Now, we've actually already done this, but this image is really hard to ignore. Absolutely crystal clear when you look through, through it that the objective is to render the place utterly inhabitable and destroy Palestinian civil society. And we just talked about that, interestingly. You know, using USAID to promote civil society as they're destroying it. Places destroyed our homes, mosques, schools, hospitals, cemeteries, historical landmarks, supermarkets, etc. 
everything that makes up a community. Complete disconnect from the stated goal of fighting Hamas. Look at this image. Everything red are damaged buildings since October 7th. Guys, that is easily 50, that's 60% of the entire area. Maybe more. You tell me what you think. At the very least, to pretend that that's in some way targeted is, is laugh out loud ridiculous. Or that they've taken every measure possible. So you're literally talking about 2.2 million people in this tiny area and pretending that if you bomb to the ground, 60% of it, that somehow you're not also killing all these civilians. But we can see it since they've killed 30,000 people. I mean, I just, it's just so on the surface. This is why people are so unnerved by this whole thing. Because it's not only showing you that Israel is what we've been telling you they are, rather the Zionist elements of the government, or most of it for that matter, and a lot of the population that they've convinced, but that it's bigger than that. That it's most governments, it seems, that are willing to ignore, at the very least, one of the most obvious genocides in living memory for their own political purposes. Even if you may argue that they secondarily kind of care about it, it's more important to them to ignore it because of their agreements with Israel, whatever. It's really hard to, to face that as somebody who has only just woke up to this, right? Those of us that have been following this or watch this show, you know, you could call yourself initiated. You understand that there's a lot of lies. But let's say you don't know any of this, that you're coming from watching Fox News and going to Walmart and suddenly you're bombarded with this horrible reality that nobody cares about anybody in the government and they're all lying to you. Like that's, a, that's cognitive dissonance. That causes a lot of uncomfortable feelings. But you got to work through it because it's the truth. The point is that you can't stare at this picture and pretend that they're actually caring about anything other than their agenda. And I agree with or not, this is about settlements. Uh, it's about deploying more illegal settlements and further occupying the area while displacing everyone Palestinian completely. I argue, including the West Bank. I think that's I think that's part of this. Unbelievable. Now here's what South Africa has to say. I'll just let it play reiterating the fact that the United States government and Israel play a double standard. President, the events of the past few months in Gaza have illustrated that Israel is acting contrary to its international law obligations, including those in terms of the Genocide Convention. South Africa has thus opted to resort to international judicial mechanisms, including at the International Criminal Court, and the International Court of Justice to seek justice for the people of Palestine. We reiterate that the international community cannot proclaim the importance of international law and the importance of the UN Charter in some situations and not in others, as if the rule of law only applies to a select few. For international law, to be credible, it should be uniformly applied and not selective. Accordingly, on 29 December 2023, South Africa filed an application instituting legal proceedings at the International Court of Justice against Israel under the 1948 Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. Obviously, the main point you're hypocrites. 
right? They, you're picking and choosing how to apply this, and we all see it. We've all always seen it. We're at a point, finally, where the international community is, is pliable enough to where we can actually push this, and we have enough support from the average people that maybe, just maybe, we can do something different. I certainly hope so. The point is, they're certainly trying. We're standing up, and we're saying, this is incorrect. What you're doing is illegal. What you're doing is hypocritical. Please pay attention. The question is whether you're willing to pay attention. Here is another example, both from Decensored News, by the way, you should be following, speaking to the UN Security Council. UN Relief Chief Martin Griffiths describes the disastrous humanitarian situation that's been caused by this ongoing genocide. It, I mean, it's just unparalleled in, in the size and the time frame. I mean, it's just there's nothing like this I've ever seen. 22 out of 36 hospitals, non-functional. 14 hospitals remaining, only partially functional. Functional, excuse me. Severe shortage of medical staff, 60% of housing units gone, 75% of population displaced, clean water inaccessible completely. But it's all about Hamas, though. Just, I'll just keep saying that. In of the 36 hospitals in Gaza are functional, and these only partially. They face severe shortages of medical staff and supplies. Fierce fighting, as we know, has continued in the vicinity of the Nasser and Al-Amal hospitals in Khan Yunis, uh, threatening the safety of medical staff, the wounded and the sick, as well as the thousands of IDPs seeking refuge there. The intense fighting around Khan Yunis continues to drive thousands of people into Rafah, already hosting over half of Gaza's population of 2.2 million people. Um, thus, compression, the compression of people in Rafah is a major issue of concern for, for all of us, but for us in the humanitarian agencies. Across Gaza, over 60% of housing units are reportedly, allegedly destroyed or damaged. We now estimate that some 75% of the total population have been displaced and their living conditions are getting worse each day. Heavy rains are flooding the makeshift tent camps, forcing children, parents, and the elderly to sleep in the mud if they can. And clean water is almost completely inaccessible. With little public health support available, preventable diseases are therefore rife and will continue to spread and will become, if they have not already, become the chief killer of Gazans. The further spread of hostilities southwards, along with the increasing deprivation and desperation of people there, can only be expected to increase the pressure for mass displacement into neighboring countries. The Which is the point. Spillover. They're telling the you ability that's the of the humanitarian community to reach the people of Gaza with relief remains grossly inadequate. And to say it's grossly inadequate, as it says here, is grossly inadequate. Just, it's just incredible where we are. Here is a, a uh, U, it's, it's a UN investigation, actually. Israel, and this is what I hate about this stuff, and this is how wishy-washy the UN usually is most likely dropped a thousand pound bomb on UK doctors in Gaza. But you read it and it's very clear. 
In fact, Israel even said we won't do it again. So it's not hard to understand that it happened, but yet you still have to put it as most likely. That's why they frame it like that in the title with quotes. Israeli forces most likely used a thousand pound bomb when they hit a compound housing British doctors. Don't you think the UK government should care? It's the same point they made about the US entities that they, the Biden seemingly doesn't care about. They, it's, they, these people don't care about anything that goes against their agenda, including you or their own people. And by the way, this is you, doctors working for U.S. and U.K. organizations in southern Gaza, according to a U.N. investigation. But since the U.N. is Hamas, I guess we all just ignore it, right? In results result, uh, released on Tuesday, U.N. investigators said the early morning strike of January 18th probably involved an MK-83 bomb guided by a GBU-32, a type of kit that turns freefall bombs into precision-guided missiles. And saying, quote, we need to know that facts, we need to know the facts as to why this airstrike took place, which it clearly did, and they all acknowledge, and receive assurances of non-recurrence. So if you know it happened, you know Israel did it, and you know that they even spoke up and said we won't do it again, why would you frame it as most likely? Because that's a political game that's being played. It's painful. It's like any other example of claiming that these shootings were are just, you know, they got killed as opposed to being shot by Israel. It says, we further demand that our colleagues in Gaza, their families, and all civilians and humanitarian workers in Gaza be protected from further attack. The Israeli military gave assurances to the UK and said the coordinates of the site in the town of Al-Mawasi, you know, the place they promised was safe, had been marked as protected. Oh, you know, as protected as these locations where they dropped 2,000-pound bombs after designating them as safe, according to the New York Times and Jerez. But yes, that one, but yes, this one's unique because they promised. It's just disgusting. Here, Dr. Mustafa El-Murasi points out on this street, on both sides, are the buildings. I had an office with a beach view. Only the beach remained. And we shall return to build a new office. Just take a quick glance back and forth. Right? How you can have a metropolis. Now you can't even see the street because it's completely, this is what it looks like when you're breaking it down to the soil to be able to rebuild settlements, right? You got life and then you've got after Israeli illegal occupation, ethnic cleansing and genocide. But just think about that. Here's another example. And I love this because this person's trying to make it out to be like, okay, this is the kind of thing that kills me about this conversation. So first of all, if you think that October 7th was the biggest thing ever since 9-11, you realize that both these things can exist simultaneously, right? You can argue that not, October 7th was a genocide, and you can also recognize that what's happening to Palestinians was a genocide. Now, I agree completely with what you think happened on October 7th because we've gone through so much evidence that proves that your own government probably killed most of people that happened that day. But at the very least, a lot of them. That's admissions by Israeli Jews, by Israelis, by helicopter pilots, by security heads, by tank drivers. I mean, it's painful, the kind of stuff that's being ignored right now. But my point is that instead of going, yeah, that's unreal, the argument is, well, here, before and after. Here's the kibbutz beret. So your point is to show a man walking up. Why is that before? It seems like that's on October 7th, apparently. But then showing the image that we've proven, that Haaretz has proven, that Channel 12 has proven was done by Israel. See how this works? That building you're pointing out to act like that was after the what happened from what that was because of Israeli tanks and shelling and bombings per the tank drivers, the helicopter pilots and the person who worked at the caboose. But, you know, who cares? Because don't let the facts get in the way of your narrative. Right. I mean, my God, that's unbelievable. That picture right there. 
Here's One Path Network. I'm not familiar with them, but I just started following. They, I like this post. I said, hey, Elon, does Israel enjoy killing civilians? Even when it's not a, quote, accident? Here you go. And they're referencing when Elon went and made these statements. Here's what here's the the basically showing you the reality while he's making these illegitimate statements. Just visited Israel and has this to say. Israel tries to avoid killing civilians, uh, doing everything he has to, to avoid killing civilians. There's, there's not sort of joy expressed. Clearly, that's the narrative, right? Everything they can, except all these provable examples. Yeah! There's, there's not sort of joy expressed in killing civilians. Well, it's... it's... Well, it's, it's, it's a regret. Obviously, if, if civilians die accidentally, well, every civilian yes. casualty is, is a tragedy. I wish IDF emoted them. You can have all the money in the world, yet still be held captive. Stop playing yourself. Visit Gaza. Interesting. Good point. Well, I agree with everything. But if they don't kill them, here's another thing that happens. Instead of killing, well, they torture them. I've shown you this since November 8th, 2023. Amnesty International. Many other groups have done similar investigations, and it's very real. This is after October 7th. Israel, horrifying cases of torture and degrading treatment of Palestinian detainees amid spike and arbitrary arrests. So not only are they torturing, but detaining them unjustly in 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 arbitrary arrest meaning they're arresting them for no reason these are the human rights groups that they used to point to to justify their actions now they're being called out and what do they do they call them racist funny how they weren't racist all the other times that you pointed at what they were saying right point is that's also what's going on here and here's examples of people that are being released as we've already shown you Compare that to the people being released from Hamas. Now, you could argue that they're doing that knowing that there's going to, you know, they're faking, they're being nice when they normally aren't, like certainly possible. But all we have are what's the fact, the facts in front of us we can prove. And we continue to see people released who are fed and say they were treated kindly. And one after another, the truth of what they've been doing to Palestinian detainees comes out by human rights groups, by other governments, by their own statements. The Palestinian Noir al-Qadi, who was released after a year of administrative detention, which means he was never even charged with the crime. He suffers from heart disease, was prevented from taking his medicine for such a long time in such an insufficient way. Just look at the way he is. Look at his eyes. The, eye, the way the eyes look, I forget what that's called, but that doesn't come with, that is massive trauma. Just visited Israel and has... Hold on. Make sure I got the right one. Oh, wait. Or maybe I didn't have the video. Oh, you know what? I didn't because it's in it's in Hebrew or in uh... yeah, it's it's I have to translate it. But the point is, and I am Palestine writes. He also suffers from fractures in the chest due to torture. He also didn't change his clothes for 120 days, not because he wanted that, but because they that's what happened. Here's another one. Daniel Modus writes that the new batch of kidnapped civilians that were just released this morning with signs of torture on their bodies. This is the norm, guys. I mean, you listen to any, even the UN has written entire documents about this. Same with Amnesty, same with Human Rights Watch. And we all pretend like it must be a lie because Israel says so, right? And look at these people, guys. They're being tortured. They're being beat up. Here he is speaking about it. Saying he didn't, he got went four days without food or water. A testimony of a Palestinian prisoner released by the Israeli occupation after weeks of arrest and torture amid ongoing Israeli occupation in the Gaza Strip. 
Oh, I think this was just out of order. So the point was just simply, oh, that, that was the other thing. So we're, so here's what, basically, they don't kill them. They randomly detain them for no reason, torture them, you know, whatever else. But on top of that, while they're in the designated areas we've shown you many times, right, as they're being told, go to this area, you'll be safe. Go there so we can actually go after Hamas. Well, what's actually happening, as Middle East Eyes pointing out? Palestinian journalist Alam Sadiq documented case evacuation from Khan Yunus to Rafah. Right, Khan Yunus being the place where they told you you'd be safe, they bombed it the entire time, and then now telling them, now you go to Rafah. And on the way, this is the point, with a journalist and several other journalists also documenting it, he described how they were being bombed, being shot at, and snipers all trying to shoot them along the entire way. And you just have to realize that this is not an accident. These people are being tortured in every day. They're like, realize they could just bomb everywhere and kill them all right now. But that'd be a much more obvious to the world. But it's also a level of vitriol. Like they want these people to suffer. That's why they're laughing and cheering and making statements and, che- and dancing around how they want to see them all go, you know, Amalak and all that stuff. Like it's very clear. So this is just about individual actions as well as the, a mandate to make these people suffer. And if they die in the process, who cares? This is while they're going to the safe location. Oh, oops, I left this up the whole time. That's okay. For those on the podcast, I'm not going to stop it and read the whole thing because it's a bunch of... But just understand what you're, what you're hearing is the journalists and different people covering this, showing you that as they were being evacuated and going in in the direction they were supposed to go in, walking on the road, they were told to go on, they are being shot and bombed and manipulated the whole way. سلكنا طريق كثير 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 صعبة الحمد لله احنا لسه لسه بنص الطريق نسأل الله السلامة احنا لفينا من المناطق المواصي التفينا التفاف look at how far they have to walk guys like think about that's crazy especially when you realize that they've got children they've got people in wheelchairs they've got pregnant women people with arms cut off with no anesthetic and they're hobbling along this road because Israel threatens to bomb them if they stay there no matter what very, very like a democracy right طريق الدبابات والاليات المتمركزه غرب خان يونس عملنا التفاف احنا والناس معنا اطفال معنا نساء معنا سيدات مسنات معنا حالات صعبه معنا حالات مرضيه ولكن نسال الله السلامه احنا في طريقنا تقدر تشوفوا المشهد ورانا الناس النازحين الله ما يدوقها لحد يا خالتي الله ما يدوقها لحد وين رايحين الان؟ هلا طلعنا في بيت الكريم وجه الكريم ما عارفين وين رايحين ولا جايين الحمد لله نسأل الله السلام أخوي محمد الحداد وعبد مرتجى هم أصحاب القرار أصحاب القرار بتقول المنطقة هاي والمخاطرة فيها This is the death road but we were forced to take it يا رب يا رب يا رب يحفظ الأمهات والأطفال يحفظ الناس كلها نماشي هاي الطريق طريق الموت نسأل الله السلام يا رب هينا في طريق البحر الآن رايحين على رفح يا رب يا رب هاي الخرفان 
the scenes were scary as death was everywhere. Imagine walking down this road, just watching some random person next to you get sniped in the head and just fall to the side, which we've already seen happen multiple times. And you just got to keep walking. I hope I'm not next. Think about what that does to somebody. What if your ch- child is walking next to you? You know, you, you think about what that does to you. Think about what that does to the child and how he perceives the world after that. So basically the image that was stuck there, so you're talking about the, the worst thing they saw was an old man who died in his wheelchair. God. You know, they will never ever get they will never be able to wash this stain away from what they are. Here is New York Times investigation has already showed you. Haaretz covering it. They bombed the the areas designated safe with the most destructive bombs. You just don't un- misunderstand that. Now, as well as the, the reality that if they don't kill them in this process, here is uh, Amnesty International saying damning evidence of war crimes. Israelis attacks wipe out entire families in Gaza. I've already shown you this, showing you that they are deliberately targeting them. This was just between October 7th and 12th. They've had five examples of them targeting people or not choosing to tell them and bombing the locations anyway. I mean, it's just everywhere you look. Israel targets infrastructure in Gaza to ramp up civilian pressure on Hamas. December 11th, PBS. Here's Vox. Israel hits civilian infrastructure as ceasefire calls grow. We all seem to know it, but nobody has the courage to make it genocide, to call out what they're doing as deliberate because we know that it is. Here, and just so it's clear, this is not unique to post-October 7th. Nine years old. Israel's finding it hard to deny targeting Gaza infrastructure. It is always what they've lived through. Now think about living through that for how many decades with nobody, not only nobody paying attention, but all of the mainstream community calling you terrorists for being genocided. Think about that. Here goes back to 2010. I lost everything. Israel, this is Human Rights Watch. Israel's unlawful destruction of property during Operation Cast Lead. All these human rights groups have been calling this out for so long and just nobody cares. We act like our memory disappears and we go to the next year and then it's all back to the allegations again. You're racist. You're anti-Semitic. Here's the cradle. Gaza journalist Anas al-Shiraf reports that the Israeli troops have fully withdrawn from the areas. And I don't know if that's because of this discussion of a deal, which we'll get to in a second, or there's more coming that we should be worried about. The point is that because they've removed themselves, these journalists have been able to go through and it is Passive destruction. But that image we showed you a moment ago pretty much does the picture, shows you the picture. Just flattened metropolis areas down to the dirt. And he go, this shows you something again, just showing you how much has been broken. To, you know, here's another example <clears throat> saying journalists were able to, to uh, today to cover from the northeast, west of Gaza for the first time after the withdrawal of Israeli forces. He reports that the entire area has been wiped out. The amount of destruction is indescribable. 
Some areas were destroyed for the sake of destruction only, without any military goal, which, by the way, seems to be what even corporate media is finding the courage to point out. It's just ethnic cleansing. Complete, absolute destruction for their own benefit. Interestingly enough, one of the things that one of these people found, which I think is indicative of some kind of a setup, and not I don't think this is by accident, he's the remains of Israeli weapons left behind after they would draw from northeast Gaza. Now, look at these things, guys. These are not something small. Do you think that's by accident? Do you think, here's my thought, one of two things. Either this is because, like, here, let them use these so we can then point at what they're doing to justify our actions, or for something bigger, for some kind of a false flag action, they'll find these, I don't know. But do you really believe they left all of that in a place where they claim they're fighting terrorism? Come on. Well, I think we need, to, we need to really begin to see the wag the dog elements of what we're watching here today, in general, not just today. Now, Daniel Lotus also points out, Israeli politician, who you've already seen, this one right here, Daniela Weiss, explains how she plans to use illegal settlements to push the Palestinians out of Gaza after mocking U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken as not very smart. Well, she certainly got that right, but the point is ultimately that she is telling you that no matter what they're telling you over there, we're going to kill all these people, or rather, we're going to displace all these people because we're going to put settlements in. Because, I mean, you realize this is public. Openly discussed, as we've already shown you, there are open displays displays, and conventions for how they're going to occupy with these illegal settlements, Gaza, and realize currently right now it's already illegal occupied. That's not even up for debate. But realize what they're saying is they're going to deploy more of these illegal settlements. Actually, it's funny. I've been waiting for a moment to use this. I'm going to play this right now. Just because I'm so tired of people pretending like this place isn't occupied. Like, oh, they pulled out in 2006. It's... It, and they didn't give them any self any autonomy. They pulled out and controlled everything. And and did I mean it was it's it's still a controlled entity because the larger area of Palestine is still occupied, is the point. Well, let's play this really quickly. Because I do think this is just to show you this is an expert on the topic who is, you know, shocked that they would even make this argument. Occupied. It's seated control. Didn't, did it not cede control no. in 2005? No, no. What was eliminated, was, what was uh, taken away in 2005 was the presence of the colonies. But Gaza has remained very much occupied. And not- under under le- international law, 100%. UN has never said otherwise. But Only because it's ruled there by is Hamas. control of land, air. There, can I finish? There is not just the control of air, land, uh, electromagnetic space. and Exactly what Mark Lamont was saying. He got aggressive pushback from Israeli representative, even though it's a provable fact. Sea space, but there is also a very tight control of what enters and what exits Gaza, including with the right that Israel has reserved itself to carry out preventive strikes, which have killed many in the Gaza Strip. No, Gaza is still occupied. and. that's a preemptive self-defense nonsense. There is a wall-to-wall consensus in international community, including ICRC, which is normally quite uh, restrained. I mean, everyone has concluded that Gaza is still occupied through met- modern methods of warfare, even if it doesn't have boots on the ground. There is effective control. Right. That's the important part. And she's an expert in international law. The point is that the, if we can see, and they're publicly telling you, and they've got open conventions for the continual deployment of settlements in the area that they just pushed all the Palestinians away from, they we know this is not about what they say it is. Like, that's a provable fact. 
So right now, they will not admit this is actually what's going on, despite their own people, their own government entities saying they're doing this, and we need to find ways to push them out, drive them into the sea, drive them into the Egypt. And if you listen to Biden, if you listen to other people that are shouting down narratives that they want to control on Twitter and elsewhere, they'll pretend like this is not even remotely what's happening. You can't pretend that this is about getting rid of Hamas when you're clearly driving all Palestinians away so you can take further control, right? Which is exactly what they're telling you. If you listen to what she's saying, she's saying we're going to get rid of all of them, not just Hamas. It's it's absolutely mind-blowing. Listen to what she said. So glad I'm not blinking because what he says is not, is not smart. There is no chance, no chance whatsoever for a two-state solution. See? And it's not like, my point is, you can hear the same thing from Netanyahu, from Neftali Bennett, from Gavir, all the ones, they're all saying that. But yet they just keep going back to it. Blinken just keeps saying, because that is the only thing they have left. Israel has shot themselves in both feet. So at this point, the narrative is gone. But they can't just go, okay, well, then we're going for genocide. So you got to go for some argument that still holds sway with people in your political circles. Even though Israel's going, this will never happen. And I've been telling you how long that they've always said that. It seems that he takes some, some paper and reads, and someone forgot to tell him in the administration that it's not relevant. And he keeps reading from it. Now, it's because it's a narrative. They know they're lying. They know that you guys don't want that, but they don't, they want the Americans to think you do so we don't recognize how obvious this is genocide. I mean, he, he reiterates, in my eyes, in an embarrassing manner. We uh, uh, um, have now 800,000 Jews living in 250 settlements. All illegal. Every single one of them are illegally occupied entities per the UN, per human rights groups, per everybody. They don't care. In Judea and Samaria. Well, That's West Bank and Gaza. Well, technically, well, I, think, I think it was, I forget which one is supposed to be Gaza, but the point is that's what they're talking about from before. They're trying to push back into it. Where will you put, Mr. Blinken, where will you put your two-state solution? Where are you going to do it? In the West Bank, settlers have often gotten government recognition for settlements they built illegally after the fact. Well, just because the, US, the Israeli government acknowledges it does not make them no longer illegal. From an international law perspective, they've always been illegal. The point is that every area there's ever been a settlement put, which, by the way, includes the areas that Hamas broke into, by the way, those were originally outlined as areas that were supposed to be part of a Palestinian state under the original 67 borders of a two-state solution. And it's they've always pretended like they're going to get there at some point as those Palestinians will just stop bombing us, even though it's the Hamas entities they funded to do so. See the point? But what's happened is in between that time, under the guise that it's only the Palestinians keeping it going, they incrementally take more and more and more. And the U.N. has always said it was a crime. And the U.S. even quietly goes, hey, stop doing that. But they just keep doing it. You realize how crazy that is? They could just blatantly do the obvious illegal thing over and over and over and over and over and over, and no one ever does anything about it, and they sneeze the wrong direction over here, whether it's a crime or not, and everybody points at the Palestinians. Think about what that does to your psyche. It's not government policy to allow settlements in Gaza, but Vice says she may not wait and may take a similar approach there. What we are going to do, and telling you secretly, we are going to squat close to the border. Right now, there is a border that uh, prevents us from uh, entering. But maybe um, the northern part of Gaza, which is actually not 
under uh, any uh, formal sovereignty. It's called the no man's land. Think about that. They call, they call where all those Palestinians live no man's land. So maybe over there, there will, it will be easier. So once we start, uh, then once there is an opening, then there will be the second stage and the third stage. It will happen in my lifetime. My God. Sociopath. I mean, let's be clear. She's well aware of the human beings that were living there. They don't even play into it. They don't even factor in. They're not humans to these people. These are Zionist entities. Now, just to be clear, again, Yannis Tirawi points out the settlement map of the Gaza region. And guys, this is very public. Just look these up. I've already shown you like 14 different examples of Ben Gavir dancing with them at the convention and cheering about how they're going to take Gaza, you know, the settlements and deploy them into Gaza. Here is a group of them talking right here. Six Israeli ministers, the finance minister, heritage minister, national security minister, cultural minister, tourism minister. Right? These are people that are, in some cases, part of the military cabinet, are saying that they're going to take these areas. It's called conquering and colonizing the Gaza Strip, and they're all part of it. They're all cheering. And there is the two, specifically her, the woman we just pointed to. This is a government-organized uh, and supported agenda. I mean, who do you think's letting them through to block the aid, which we'll get to in a second? The government. War, this is from uh, Middle East Eye, war on Gaza. Netanyahu looking for countries to absorb ethnically cleansed Palestinians. Now, they're not calling it ethnically cleansed, but realize if you're looking for people to absorb the groups that don't want to leave, what else do you call that? You're forcing these people to go somewhere else under a guise that they, and remember, when they call it voluntary migration, that's not, you're not allowed to push back on that. The woman, it, I forget her name now, on Sky News, I think, Push back and said, "Oh, you mean voluntary, like with the Jews in in Nazi or in in uh, Nazi Germany?" No one would take that point as assuming that she meant that's what she thought. She was clearly making a contrast point to say, "Well, how dare you suggest this is voluntary? We all know it's not. It's about as voluntary as you said. What happened in Germany?" I mean, she's clearly her point is that it wasn't voluntary in Nazi Germany, but of course they spin that into her anti-Semitic phrase because they can't acknowledge the point that makes them look like what they are. I'm talking about Zionist, just to be clear. In that same game that they always like to play. This is illegal. It's immoral. And quite frankly, it doesn't seem like the rules-based international order even cares a modicum about this. Now, here's another one. I already played this one. But just to show you, she's saying it very clearly. We're going to move them by starving them. Arabs will move. How do you, why do you say that? Why do you if say you that? don't get them, if we don't give them, we want to have our hostages then, right? So we don't give them food, we don't give the Arabs anything, they will have to leave, the world will accept them. Right, so if we force them to starve, and, and you know, whatever else, no medical treatment, nothing, because no aid, well, the world will, will, isn't that exactly what I've been telling you? That they're doing this to force the world's hand to act like they, well, we have to do something humanitarian, but they're all going to die. So let's step in and move them to Egypt because that's going to save their lives. Despite the fact that you're falling right into the ploy. It shouldn't, we should be acknowledging, well, let's stop them from being starved to death for, how about we don't jump to the next step that they're you, they're starving them for you to achieve. But either way, do you get the problem there? How exactly are you pretending your hostages will be okay if you're starving them where they are? She doesn't care about the hostages. This is a Zionist agenda to take this, to create these settlements. If you're not letting aid in, 
How do you think your hostages are feeding are feeding themselves? I mean, just think about that for a second. It's the same as pretending bombing the area is somehow going to save them. You're killing them. And I think we all know that they know that. Now, here's the point about this has gotten this escalated even further. So one of the ways they're doing this is by now blockading the aid trucks from coming in. Even though you got people like Eli David acting like there's hundreds upon hundreds of trucks coming in every day and you guys are lying. No, they're actively stopping it with the help of the government of Israel. The point is, Israeli settlers harass an aid truck driver. Now, there's examples not just of harassment, as they're all yelling. Examples of them actually pulling out of a truck, pulling them out of a truck and, and attacking them, essentially. And isn't this exactly what we see happening in other situations that get condemned? I bet you won't hear a word about this. But this is about stopping the aid in general. Now, remember, we've already gone over this. This is like, what, the seventh day in a row? Israeli settlers gather at the port of occupied Izdud to prevent humanitarian aid from going to Gaza. This is Israeli media reporting that. And now, just in case you think this is unique, look, this is from, this is at stopping on January 24th. I'll show you the new one. But just in case you think this is some kind of misrepresentation, this is the Mossad official account, or one of them anyway. It is their official account. And they're saying, thank you to everybody who came out to prevent aid. So how exactly can you pretend that you're not trying to prevent aid while praising your Israeli counterpart, or rather Israeli entities, for stopping aid? Explain that for me. Like, this is how crazy the dynamic is right now. And it goes on forever. And this is the only one I see where they go, shocking! An Israeli soldier arrested for blocking Hamas, blocking aid to Hamas. Okay, but how are you arresting a soldier while you're not doing anything about it? I don't believe it. Another day, and then the rest of them, every single one of them, coming to the Shalom crossing, a different crossing, to stop aid. Defense minister gets an earful, stop humanitarian aid. On and on and on and on. Same thing from today, 29th. Let's refresh it. I bet you it's even more. Yep, they did another one. Oh, wait, no, this, hold on. That's pretty interesting. Why does, why is January 24th at the top? That just rearranged itself. In any case, let's do latest. We'll show you. Gaza receives humanitarian aid directly from IDF soldiers. He curses UNRWA. Sinwar uh, Hebrew eats underground. What does that say? Sinwar eats meat underground and we eat bullets in the head. Oh, okay. So this is one of these fake displays, I think, of people acting like, you know, we've already seen many of these where they mistranslate what they're saying. In any case, the point is they're reporting, it seems, that there's, what does this actually show? Oh, great. So you've got this little four-cart trolley bringing something in. <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. So to them, that's humanitarian aid coming in while well, you block these gigantic trucks full of sugar and wheat. It's just so easy to show these liars. It's crazy to me. My point, though, right there. Same January 30th. Crossing, blocking aid. Blocking aid. The point here, I swear to God, this was, I just had this up and these things are all, anyway, the point all you really need to see is thank you for everyone that came out to prevent aid. It's very clear that they're promoting the act and they have to let them in there to be able to block this, you understand. And again, here's Egypt going back to October, saying Israel's stance is stopping anything crucial to Gaza, which means to their hostages too. And here is the UN Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs saying, we face repeated refusal by Israel to enter Gaza for much-needed materials for unclear, inconsistent, and unspecified reasons. So literally from every angle, Egypt, the UN, Palestine, Gaza, everyone is saying that Israel's the one stopping aid, and the only one saying otherwise is Israel. What do you think is happening? I think it's pretty obvious. 
This comes right up until January 24th. Egypt CC accuses Israel of impeding aid to Gaza. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. We know they've been doing this the entire time. It's provable. It's documented. They just state otherwise. But now they're coming out as of today and saying, maybe we should stop aid. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, they're just trying to move the narrative in the interest of what they're already doing. Israel's finance minister, minister Smotrich, who is a maniac, says allowing humanitarian aid to Gaza goes against the goals of the war. But wait a minute. That means that your only goal is to annihilate everything there. And maybe Hamas is the goal, maybe not. But by not allowing aid, you're starving and hurting your own people, who you otherwise claim is your number one objective. So it can't be. It's provable. He says, I spoke with Netanyahu in this regard, and it's got to change soon. Here's the Guardian. This is from today. Israeli ministers reportedly considering limiting aid. What do you mean limiting aid? Like you're not even, you're barely, if ever, letting it through. And now this, what this narrative is meant to do is, is seal within the narrative that they have been doing so. And only now is it suddenly changing. It's a pretty weak effort to try to retroactively change it by pretending if we're only changing it now, then we must have been doing it the whole time. They're not. It's provable. And we've shown you that. But this is a, just a weak effort to try to shift the narrative. But either way, they're admitting that they're going to try to stop aid. It's right. Whether or not it's been happening the whole time. That's a big deal. But it, none of the rules-based international order seems to care. But it's also, again, as I've said three times, about their own people. As I said, they, this was on the fifth day. They continue to block aid to the hostages as well as Palestinians for the fifth day in a row. How does that make sense to anybody? Well, the point is a lot of Israelis are livid about this because they know that it's directly hurting their own family members. But here's Elon Levy Representative October 7th coming out to pretend that he cares about the hostages. UNICEF says, we can, I love how this per, the, everybody under the sun is apparently a bad guy because they don't want to acknowledge the lies of Israel right now. UNICEF, we cannot abandon the people of Gaza. Now, what I love about the way this keeps happening is in, in, anywhere in there, does that suggest that that's because of Israel? I mean, it's obvious, and that's why he responds because his guilty conscience, he knows it's aimed at him, even though it may not be, but that's how he responds to it by saying, as for the hostages, we don't care, right? It's just so obvious. These He knows it's a guilty conscience. You know you're the bad guy in the situation. So what you do is you took it as it's directed at you. It may have been, but you made it about you by responding back to them as if they were aiming it at you. You get my point? Like, it's so clear. That's what a guilty conscience does. The point, though, we cannot abandon the people of Gaza. The point, it's obviously about the fact that we need to continue to do more to help them as they're now saying we're not going to send anything. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's static. It's obvious. So when he says, as for the hostages, we don't care. Well, they've already spoken up about them. They've repeatedly stated we need to do all these things for everybody there. Or we need to do a ceasefire to save the hostages, which by the way, you guys keep refusing. So who actually cares about who here? Elon, you guys care only about your own agenda at the expense of literally everybody. And I think literally everybody's beginning to see that. Fairs points out which hostages? The 10,000 you have in the jails before October 7th or the 2,000 you've kidnapped since then? What about the 400 kids you took just recently? Which is real, by the way. We've already covered this. Israel's kidnapped. This is just from today. 44 people from the West Bank in the past 24 hours. Children. Former abductees, like I keep telling you, the majority of these cases occurred in Bethlehem, where 30 citizens were abducted, including 18 children, probably getting, you know, bulked up for when they're going to exchange again, so they can just not actually lose any standards, give people they already took, 
which they scoop up right afterwards anyway, which is what happened last time. Many children were taken as hostages to pressure their family members to surrender, otherwise known as a human shield, which, by the way, we've already talked about. 2013, Palestinian children tortured, used as shields by Israel, per the United Nations. Reuters. Israeli soldiers who used Palestinian boy, a nine-year-old, as human shields avoid jail. Defense for Children International, an international human rights group. Israel forces use five Palestinian children as human shields. That's 2023. This is from 2017. Generally, human shields. Since the beginning of the occupation in 1967, Israeli security forces have repeatedly used Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip as human shields. Israeli soldiers routinely use Palestinian civilians as human shields by forcing them to carry out life-threatening tasks. It was also following a high court petition against this practice, which was filed by human rights organizations around the world in May 2002, that the IDF issued a general order prohibiting the use of Palestinians as a means of human shield against gunfire or attacks by the Palestinian side. But then it goes on to say, following the order, the use of human shields dropped sharply. However, the arms, the army did not construe as a human shield the use of Palestinians, provided they consented. The army continued the widespread use of this practice, which they referred to as the neighbor procedure. Following another petition filed by human rights organizations, the High Court of Justice ruled that this practice, too, violated international humanitarian law and that this thus was illegal. And guess what they've never stopped doing? Here is the Institute for Middle East Understanding, the neighbor procedure, Israel's use of Palestinian human shields from 2012. Human Rights Watch. During military operations, Israeli soldiers routinely coerced Palestinian civilians, including children, to perform life-endangering acts that assisted military operations, the practice known as the neighbor procedure. Now, see this? Now, if you want more on that, I've gone over this in depth more than once, in fact. There's also a clip just on Rumble, on Rumble just about this one section, but the open secret of Israel's use of human shields, it's, it's I mean... It really is unparalleled. Like the way that these conversations are ignored uniquely about Israel is it's just, it really is unparalleled. These things are public open discussions and only, and then we, they accuse one side of doing the same thing and, the, and it only goes one way. It's really crazy. By the way, on a quick side note, I'm just looking at the chat. Uh, if you know, th this setup is slightly different at this point because of the new uh, audio interface. So let me know if the sound is too loud. Or if you think the mic is too close, you got to tell me this stuff, guys, because I'll, I'll adjust accordingly. Someone in the in the chat says it looks like I want to eat the mic or something like that. Let me know because I've got I want to make it as you know best as possible, especially for the podcast. If it's all audio, but watch that for yourself because I think this is a an important show. Now the point about the hostages and and the lie of someone like Elon Levy acting like they don't care about the hostages. Right. Well, what about the reality that we've already discussed about the tunnels, which, by the way, remember how far ahead of the story we were, the reality that they are, in fact, flooding these tunnels with seawater as well, as much as they already they're kind of pretend in this clip that that wasn't the case. But that this also added, in my opinion, to the, the flooding of the ground. Like, look, it's, it's certainly capable of flooding with lots of rainfall. But I've seen years in the past with, I think, more rainfall that didn't seem to flood up to their knees. So I think there was a level of this that was adding to the flooding in the ground, which was meant to increase the illness, in my opinion, which, by the way, seems to be exploding right now. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to get into it today, but they're talking like hundreds of thousands of different levels of illness blowing up all over the place, which is what happens when you destroy any health infrastructure and flood the area and remove food and clean water. It's, it's a guaranteed problem. 
But this is Israeli military confirms the flooding of Hamas tunnels. Well, the simple point, other than all of the byproducts of that and deliberate destabilization, they know for a fact that their hostages, in some cases, are held in tunnels. That's what they're telling you anyway. They've said it many times. Hamas in their terror tunnels, right? Saying our hostages are there. Well, then they're flooding the tunnels. I mean, do that is do I even need to put that together for you? It's very obvious that they don't care about the people that are held or they wouldn't just arbitrarily fill tunnels. They may very well be in there or bomb buildings, which we also know they're held in, which they've already told when they came back, but they keep doing it. So these people are liars, guys. Just recognize that they don't care about the very people they're using to justify murder, genocide even. Now, here's the cradle in regard to this new supposed deal. Israel's agreed to ceasefire proposal. We have an initial positive confirmation from Hamas. From Hamas. This is from the uh, cut uh, from the spokesman, Qatari spokesman. Now, that's not actually what I think is going on here. This was the original statement that was put out by like U.S. and Israeli media. So here's first of all the Jerusalem Post. Hamas gives initial approval for Gaza ceasefire, which I don't even know if I believe that because they've been very clear about the the minimal expectations for any deal full ceasefire full exchange removal of israel troops which by the way are the three things that israel say will never budge on so i don't know how they would reach this now but it says they uh it says i expect hamas will not reject the paper but it might not give a decisive agreement either (laughs) what does that mean you're going to pretend that they agreed so i think ultimately what they're saying here is they've kind of like a tacit approval doesn't sound to me like this was agreed upon but you're kind of getting that statement from the western media right now now this says conflicting israeli ceasefire reports this is weirdly enough from tomorrow <laughs> i guess you know the time difference is funny but it says reports whipsaw whipsaw oil markets cutter says israel agreed to a ceasefire proposal so cutter's the one that put that out there and it says Al Jazeera reported this. It deleted the tweet hours later. Reuters, also quoting an unnamed Qatari official, said no agreement had been reached. So I'm leaning more towards this point, that Qatar, probably from pressure from Israel, put this post out that made it seem like they did because I think that was meant to make Hamas look like they're not agreeing. I think that's really important Israel, seeing as how Israel's the one that keeps refusing the deals. And three times now they've put out the statement that Hamas is the one. Even though... Every other party to it was saying, well, no, that Hamas offered the big the deal for everything and that didn't meet Israel's expectations. So they keep lying about it is the point. So that's what I kind of think is happening here. Reuters reports no agreement had been reached. Hamas, it says, and this is according to um, Reuters, unlikely to reject ceasefire, but will demand Israeli withdrawal, re- withdrawal. So here's the point. Why would you frame that as unlikely to reject but maybe kind of a tacit approval and leave out the main point that one of the sticking issues is that they have to withdraw where Israel said that will never happen. So it's a very clear statement or it's a clear reality that this is not happening. So then why are they pushing it forward? Like it's going to Ben And this is the point I already showed you before Ben Gavir, part of the extremist current government openly said that he would bring down or dismantle the entirety of Israeli government if they made any reckless deal with Hamas. And he explains in the article that any deal with Hamas is reckless. Think about that. So I don't think that there ever, I don't think, I don't think there's any deals in the cards right now in general, but here's what Netanyahu said as of, uh, this is late yesterday on this deal, quote, there is a lot of noise in the media surrounding the efforts to obtain another release of abductees. 
So I would like to make it clear. We are working to obtain another outline for the release of our abductees. But I emphasize, not at any cost. Well, that's quite interesting. Now, I guess you could always say not at any cost, right? They're not going to hand over the entire country, right? But what he really means is that we, if, if it comes up against our agenda for what we're doing with Gaza, we won't do it. He says, I have red lines among them, and it's right there. We will not end the war, one. We will not remove IDF from the Strip, two. And we will not release thousands of terrorists, otherwise known as their detained Palestinians with no charge. So then obviously this isn't happening, right? It says we are constantly working to free our hostages, which you're not. That's a lie. So you can't go from saying that they're, those are secondary to any of those first three things and saying we're constantly working to free them as we flood the tunnel they may be in, bomb locations they may be at, and they all come home saying they were terrified we were going to kill them. You're not. That's a lie. And he says to achieve the other goal of the war, which is clearly their only goal, which is not even about Hamas, it's about all of Gaza. But it says the elimination of Hamas and the promise that Gaza will no longer pose a threat because they've put out illegal settlements on it. We are working on all three together and will not give up any of them. Okay, so clearly you're never going to make a deal unless it means Hamas just hands them over, which is, by the way, what was originally going on. I think the only reason they had one pause is because they felt so much pressure, they thought it might alleviate some of the problems, which is why they just scooped back everybody they took out, or everyone they let out, they scooped them all back up. We've proven this. Again, it's provable by the other points we made. It's showing you that they scooped just, just yesterday, kidnapped 44 people from the West Bank. Now, to be clear on this, realize that these are they are choosing openly to continue bombing where they killed already their hostages because they won't agree to end the war. But that doesn't surprise me. To remove the IDF, which be, weirdly enough, they seem like they've already backed them away to some areas, but not release their, the, the people that are held on the Palestinian side. So Hamas has made it clear. They want full ceasefire and the exchange of all their hostages. And that's off the table, according to Netanyahu. So let's talk about UNRWA to finish for the most part. I think that's it, yeah. In regard, there's a little bit of an overlap here. I just want to make these points clear, how they're pointing at these entities and claiming they're all terrorists that justifies why they can't make any more deals. It's this self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, it's, it's the way they've been using Hamas, which they funded to be that the entire time. It says, if funding remains suspended, UNRWA says this, the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency, we will most likely be forced to shut down operations by the end of February. Which, of course, to them, they're saying, good. But the point is that this is the last, this is the only reason so many of these people are still alive. So, so I guess they achieved their goal, is the point. Now, Craig Murray points out, the UNRWA Gaza director at the UN yesterday says, and this is, this is where it gets really interesting, because this whole story is completely broken down and disintegrated. Of the 12 people against whom Israel made allegations, two of them are dead, one can't even be identified, and one doesn't even work for UNRWA. So this is just throwing at the wall and see what sticks, like always. But as this gets further and further away from what they claimed, Israel, as usual, goes further and further the other direction. Now it's gone to 6,000 of them are all Hamas members. It's based on the original point of basically zero evidence, mostly insinuation. Mark Seaton points out, for, so from 12 to 4 per Sky News, which says, 
Intelligence of Israel, and this is on the 30th of January, claims that four understaff in Gaza were involved in Hamas kidnappings. The rest of it gets even more ambiguous, but it says on what basis, and by the way, that's out of 30,000 under employees, it says on what basis did the U.S. and U.K. governments come to the conclusion that this warranted collective punishment by defunding UNRWA? As again, remember, even the U.S. Post said, based on allegations, while they're starving this country, the Israelis can't even get their story straight. This is actually a really powerful thread, but I think I want to play this clip first, actually. Not this one. Where was that? Oh, hold on a second. There's no way I didn't include that. Okay, that's that's frustrating. One second. There was a great clip by, man, I hope I didn't lose that. Hold on a second. That's frustrating. Well, there's a really great clip. I think it was Decensored News. Let me look real quick. It was of Matt Miller before this, talking about uh, what Hamas or what, what UNRWA was doing and how positive it was, essentially. Let me see. Do this real quick. What do I got here? All right, I'm going to play this clip really quickly, and I'll look for that. I'll be right back. Uh, Zionism is racism. Israel cannot be both. Israel is either a racist Jewish state or it's a democratic state for everybody. And that's what I would like Israel to be. I'd like a democratic solution, one state with equal rights for um, uh, all its inhabitants. Uh, Your organization, Human Rights Watch, issued a report last year uh, about Israel, Mm -hmm. and the conclusion was it is an apartheid state. And and there are four major human rights groups in the last two years Mm -hmm. who issued similar reports reached the same conclusion. Israel is an apartheid state. So apartheid is racism. Apartheid is discrimination. But Israel is the only member of the United Nations that I know which is officially racist. And I say this because of the uh, July 2018 nation-state law, which says the Jews have a unique unique right to Mm self-determination in Israel. Unique (laughs) means exclusive. It means Arabs have no right to Mm self-determination. It means even if Arabs became a majority, Mm -hmm. they would still have no right to Mm self-determination. So most certainly Zionism is a a racist ideology Mm -hmm. and it is largely responsible for the Anakba that has unfolded throughout the last century and continues today. So, apologize for the delay there. I've seen that clip many times, but I'm glad I did because I did find it. And here, this is an important clip. So what it shows you is really interesting. Is, is it's, it's somebody basically, which reading right off a piece of paper, which seems very staged to me, basically laying out the narrative that we're hearing today, but, but this is back on uh, gen, like nine days before the ICJ trial. And what he's saying is, Basically, UNRWA does invaluable work. Now, 
what he's saying today is very different. So just think about how hilarious this is. How one day to the next, the narrative completely shifts. And with his like smug dismissal of this in the other way, this is what their job is. They obfuscate. Now watch this clip. Thank you, Matt. In light of the January 9, uh, Israel Knesset member-led meeting in the, in the Knesset condemning the UN agency, UNRWA, for fostering a welfare-dependent Palestinian population that breeds a dissent and teaches children in their textbooks that the land is Palestine and Israel is the illegal occupier. With other- Oh, which, by the way, are the facts. Funny that. Funny how the facts are racist, huh? Their instruction to hate and kill Jews, plus their association with terror. And realize the way they frame that is that by default saying that that's the case, which are the facts, are, tra- are, are equivalent to hating Jews. And that's what you see what he said there. And other things about hating Jews. Well, those aren't anything about that at all. Those are the, uh, the legal international law and the facts that it is an occupier and it is Palestine. To say that does not mean you hate Jews, but that's what he just conflated. I mean, that, this is the way the game has always been played. And no one, I don't think anyone's balling for it anymore. Terrorist groups like Hamas and Palestinian Authority. What is Secretary Blinken's response, <laughs> response to Knesset members Sharon Haskell and Simka Rotman, who are calling for the funding of UNRWA to stop. And I have a follow-up. So I'm not going to respond to the comments uh, by individual members of the Knesset, but I will say that UNRWA has done and continues to do invaluable work uh, to address the humanitarian situation in Gaza at great personal risk to UNRWA uh, members. Okay, so you're telling me you know that, but you're still willing to defund them because of allegations, knowing that that important work would stop while they're starving. They know all that, and you, he just, I don't think they care. You can see it. Uh, I believe it's over 100 UNRWA staff members have been killed doing this life-saving work. Oh, they've been killed, have they? By what? Osmosis? They've clearly been killed by Israel. They've clearly been bombed while doing jobs under the UN flag, knowing that they were in protected locations. But he can't bother to say that, can he? Uh, and we continue to not only support it, but we continue to commend them for the really heroic efforts that they make uh, uh, oftentimes uh, while making the, the greatest sacrifice. The follow-up is, how can you expect Israel and other nations to believe that the UN agency, UNRWA, is a credible humanitarian agency since, according to Jerusalem Post reports, UNRWA teachers and students celebrated Hamas' brutal attack on Israel October. No, they celebrated the legal armed resistance is what they celebrated. But they well, they just keep conflating that with they celebrated because of this act, because they somehow knew that while it was happening, they went on to commit crimes. How would they possibly know that in Palestine while it was ongoing? Because that's, that's when they were celebrating. Right. Obviously, they're celebrating the fact that they were resisting. Sure, somebody in there might have liked the crimes, but to make that the allegation because you claim you factually know that it's just not true. Over seven and over half of the Hamas terrorists. Uh, behind that massacre where graduates of UNRWA schools in Gaza and weapons were found in UNRWA schools. Well, I think most people... Yeah, because IDF says so. ...in Gaza are graduates of UNRWA schools. They are uh, one of the leading, if not the leading, providers of education. So I think that's a little bit of a... um, uh, There's a little bit of a breakdown in in logic there. Oh, it is. I guess not today. Funny how much five days makes a difference, doesn't it? Suddenly today, it's completely obvious, and we all know, we've known for a long time... 30 seconds ago, it was a lack of logic. I mean, 
These people just don't care. I think, frankly, they think you're too stupid to put these dots together, even though it was just right before it started. But I will say, I'll answer the question by saying, look, whenever we see reports of that nature, we ask specific questions about UNRWA and ask that they be followed up. It does not change the life-saving work that UNRWA is doing every day in Gaza that I just detailed a moment ago. Except right now, though. <laughs> doesn't change, but now it does, because Israel said so. So suddenly that thing you said 30 seconds ago is not there and never existed, and you're crazy and anti-Semitic. Just painfully stupid. Now, here's the other one. I, there's actually three clips that I grabbed right there. This is one from today. Matt Miller has time to make jokes amid famine. couple more things. Um, the chief of uh, the chiefs of uh, WHO, UNICEF, and several other organizations, and NGOs. You know, Sorry. they bad. You're you're old enough to you're old enough to remember. You're old enough to get the joke. The WHO, I think you mean. Yeah, right. Yeah, WHO. On okay. first, who is on first? Yeah. yeah who's, who's on, on second? second exactly. <laughs> What's on second? That's right. All right. Second. We know that That's one. Right. Okay. That's right. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Are, are you done? Right. Let's get back to the genocide you're ignoring. There are a lot of people in this room that have no idea what we're talking about right yeah. now. Well, we, Sorry. We know, we know it. I saw, I saw right. timers know it. Go, you know? go ahead, Sai. All right. So, um, you know, the, the chiefs of these organizations ha have warned that, you know, suspending financial aid is going to result in a you know, total disaster. I mean, you know, there are reports about, you know, just booming famine and so on. And I know I asked about this yesterday. But it seemed to gain more urgency, especially that Lazarini said that without the aid, they, they can operate. They they cannot possibly operate beyond the end of this month. Right. So I don't really have anything to add to what I said yesterday, which is that uh, number one, there is an urgent humanitarian crisis in Gaza. It's why. It's what has animated all of the efforts from the secretary and others in the U.S. government. Right, but somehow like magically independent from anybody's responsibility, right? There's just this ongoing crisis we all have to work together to deal with. It's so infuriating. All you have to do is pressure Israel. It'll be over tomorrow. These are disgusting people. To try to get humanitarian assistance in. Number two, UNRWA plays a critical role. You have heard us say that um, dating back to before um, Friday when uh, these allegations were announced publicly and we temporarily paused our aid. You've seen us say it since then. And number three, that is why we think it is so important that uh, the United Nations conduct a prompt thorough investigation to make sure that there is accountability uh, and make sure that any reforms that need to be instituted are put in place. It is, as I said yesterday, precisely because the need is so dire that it's important that the United Nations conduct a prompt and thorough investigation. Yeah. God, just so, so much gaslighting. And then apparently I just saw this, I'll include it, is a clip, since we're already past three hours, it's a clip of the uh, basically reading in regard to the ICJ ruling. ICJ has offered a resounding rebuke for the podcast this was yesterday to those at the UN who claimed that the case of genocide against Israel was meritless and baseless. The charge of genocide is meritless. Meritless, counterproductive. The charges of genocide, we believe that they're unfounded. Unfounded? And we have said that we believe that they're unfounded. We find those allegations to be unfounded. And uh, completely without any basis in fact whatsoever. The court also dismissed the premise that somehow Israel by its very nature would be above the law and could not be accused 
of committing the crime of genocide. To those with misplaced outrage, be outraged by the crime, right. not the accusation. By reality on the ground, not the words to describe it. Enough racism and supremacy, enough, enough impunity. Which, just by saying that, they'll call him anti-Semitic and racist. That's how cartoonish this whole thing is. Now, this is a great thread, which I think I might go through in another show just because it's so outstanding and it's long. I want to give this its due deal, its time. But Isha K breaks this down and goes through the UNRWA, basically as they're calling it, the terrorogram, and just breaks down how frivolous and flimsy and subjective these claims are. And this is where most of this is coming from. How a telegram group of 3,000 UNRWA teachers in Gaza celebrated the October 7th massacre. Now, the point is you go through it and it's simply saying the list of mods and their contact numbers, meaning they were not employees, but contractors, first of all. And she goes, I mean, she goes over all of this stuff, showing that they're accusing them of anti-Semitism, but then proving that they can't even associate the statements with the right people. And say, and some of these statements are things like occupied, right? Becomes anti-Semitic, like we just showed you. It's, it's just it's incredible. It goes through all of this and breaks it down, showing you that they're lying about most everything that's being put forward and their assumptions and they're, they're conflating between what they're saying with what they tell you they mean. It's crazy. And it, with no evidence, the organization just assumes that everyone on the group is a teacher. Anyway, I'll go through this again because we're already running really long today. The point, though, is that here is, an, and I'll probably go through most of this latter part in the show. This is Sherry Mendez. Right after all this happens, right after the ICJ ruling, and I mean, their entire narrative is collapsing in on themselves. So what do you do? You fall back to the atrocity propaganda. Let's grab this lady who already went around and said things we can prove are false. They did. She was one of the earliest ones citing things like beheaded babies and other topics, which are proven to be false at this point. So she goes back out and she starts making similar allegations. Genital mutilation of women. By the way, things that Owen Jones already from The Guardian already reported were not in this video they're claiming proves all of this. So how do you make that make sense? But she's making the rounds and she's just stating these things again, which they always act like is some new level of evidence. No, it's the same one who got caught lying before circling back around and going on new shows and reiterating the same points. And here, uh, Muhammad Shahida points out that Sherry Mendez told the, N the New York Times that she saw only saw four women with signs of sexual abuse. That was reported in the New York Times. Some with a lot of blood in their pelvic areas. But she then, elsewhere, went on to say, quote, evidence of mass rape of such brutal that they broke their victim's pelvis, which we proved to you is literally impossible by an individual person. That it takes a level of a car crash type of impact to break a person's pelvis. But I guess that the facts don't matter. But the point is, was it only four? Or was it mass rape all across the entire area? Clearly, the narrative expanded since then. And she goes, Sherry had also claimed elsewhere to have seen a decapitated pregnant woman, her beheaded unborn child. You know, things that even Haaretz has proven were not happening. They were fake, but she claims to have seen them. She already expressed the strong opinions that uh, on Gaza, Ari, how the PR battle for the image, Israel's image may make the military battlefield look easy. The point is, this is about controlling the narrative and their own Israeli media has already proven that those things are false. She's already been caught lying. So the fact that she's being recirculated is just a desperate effort to keep these things in the media. Michelle points out that her question about Sherry Mendez, she's, it says, why is Sherry Mendez, this lady, presenting information? She's an architect. That's her job. Volunteer morgue worker. But yet she's this person prominent because I think that she's the one that went along with it. 
like many of the others, like Levy, who already got caught using things we can prove are not from 2024 or three, but we can prove are from very, very late as 2022. Like the image of the woman they claim is a woman who was raped. We can prove to you that it's an old image. It's all over the internet from 2022 and before, but they keep using it. But she's not a medical professional, and yet she's the one circling this around. It's very interesting. Now, here's a new one, which I, we will go through. This is from today or yesterday. Death and dono- donations. Did the volunteer group handling the dead of October 7th exploit its role? Yep. It's exactly what we've been telling you. The Zaka volunteer group. I forget the person to put this forward, but there was like a battle between these volunteer groups to get the most attention. And they provably lied. That one Zaka guy is the one that keeps talking about the oven and the baby, the woman's womb being cut open. Again, if you haven't heard this, even Israeli media has proven that these did not happen because there weren't people that were in these areas that were the same, that they were of the same age, that the people that were elsewhere there did not see the same things. Like they've thoroughly shown that these did not happen. And just, you know, do you need to look further back to the 40 beheaded baby story that was even told Biden claimed he saw it showing you the kind of controlled moving parts through at the top levels of power. And then they walked it back because it was a lie or babies being hung on clotheslines. They lied about all this stuff. This is a video in Hebrew where they're basically saying that channel 12 admits the IDF bombing of the Al Ali hospital, which guys, we already know if you aren't biased in this situation, it was a very provable concept. Even one of the, I think it was Naftali came out and said, they bombed, we bombed it because of Hamas, deleted it, and then put it out in a different way. We all saw it. Even Twitter's community notes back when they weren't completely taken over, pointed it out. This is David Collier, who continues to lie, just like Elon Levy and the rest of them, saying, I am Kibbutz Kafir Aza, saying that the, you know, I think the point was the videos down here. I don't want to get into it. The point was these two videos. Just to, I'll include them. I've shown you both of them already. These are the video compilations of how they keep lying and are proven to lie. This was Israeli Channel 12, I think, or 12, 13. And what is it? They're pointing out they lied. They lied about this one. They lied about this. This is the guy right here with the clo- the babies in the clothesline. He, they're lying. In this media, they're saying this one about, it's not an Netflix show. It's not a cable show. And goes on to list up all the things that have been proven to be false on mainstream Israeli media. And yet we can't get you know engage with this. Now, I already played this in the beginning, but the point is highly respected British-Israeli historian Avi Shalem says he has a moral duty to denounce Zionist settler colonialism and American imperialism and to stand with the Palestinian people for the struggle of peace and dignity in their own land. Alan McLeod points out that if anybody, this is the Chicago City Council, calls for a ceasefire, guess what? Wall Street Journal writes an article yesterday, Chicago votes for Hamas. To show you just how much Zionist influence. It's incredible. Calling for a ceasefire is now voting for Hamas? No, it's not. In fact, it's the exact opposite at this point. At the end of the day, it's about saving human life. Primarily, the hostages they claim they want to save, but clearly, they don't want that. And just so you know, this does seem to be building. I'm going to wait to get into this deeply because I'm not sure if this is more hype than anything else. But it says, The Intercept obtained a memo sent to the Air Force about standing by for ground involvement in Gaza from the U.S. military. With everything going on, I can't believe, but it kind of it probably wouldn't surprise me to find out they would go in on the ground while being accused of genocide in the world court. But we'll see how it happens. Overall, guys, I think it's easy to see that the U.S. government is actively involved with this genocide. And if, as an American, you should care about that. 
right? So stand up, <laughs> stand up, do something about it, speak up, tell your neighbors, tell your friends, you know, about anything, really. This topic's very important, in my opinion, obviously, but just anything you think matters. I keep saying this in the end of the shows. Get together with people and have conversations about this stuff. Debate the topics in, a, in an amicable way. Like, right, so where you're, it's okay you disagree. Discuss the finer points of this. Understand these things. Don't just regurgitate what I say or what somebody else says. Understand them. It's important. More and more, you can see how this thing, all of these situations are building, and the more you understand them, the more we can fight back. It's very important. And again, don't forget that there's a lot of people out there that are good people fighting for good things. I think that's an important, especially now. I mean, quite frankly, I'm saying this today more than it for, than for myself, more than anybody, you know, because this stuff weighs on you. As I keep saying, it really does. And it's important that I remember that, that there are a lot of good people like all of you in the chat, all of you in this community that are actively doing everything you can to fight for the right things, the right, re you know, moral concepts, integrity, honesty, truth, human life. I applaud you for it. The point is that we need to fight and spread that and inform more people and get them. Because again, I quite frankly think even people thought lost the two-party paradigm. It's what they want. And if they truly understood that they're being played, that they would be amicable or you know open to that. So thank you for being here today and continuing to support The Last American Vagabond. Make sure you keep your eye out for upcoming work from Derek Bros on the fluoride trial. Now, if you'd like to continue to support The Last American Vagabond, down below, at least every video on the donate button on the website, there's a lot of ways to do so. We do need your support. But the most important thing is sharing the work. So thank you for tuning in today. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.